Yeah, yeah, I'm out at Brooklyn. Now I'm down in Tribeca, right next to the Narrow. But I'll be hood forever. I'm the new Sinatra. And since I made it here, I can make it anywhere. Yeah, they love me everywhere. I used to cop in Harlem. All of my Dominicanos right there up on Broadway. Pull me back to that McDonald's. Took it to my stash spot, 560 State Street. Catch me in the kitchen like a Simmons whipping pastry. Cruising down A Street, off white Lexus. Driving so slow, but BK is from Texas. Me, I'm out there. Bed-Stuy, home of that boy Biggie Now I live on Billboard And I brought my boys with me Say what up to Tata Still sipping my top Sitting courtside Nicks and Nets give me high five Nigga, I be spiked out I could trip a referee Tell by my attitude That I most definitely from Dan Tracy, what up, bro? Here we go, <laughs> episode 14. Oh, Welcome man, I'm so excited. Everybody. I'm so excited for this one. I mean, the day started off a little shitty. I'm not going to lie. I had to wake up super early for my football game. We suck. We're 0-5 now. It was just like the worst game that we played all season. Tons of drops. The defense couldn't stop a nosebleed in the words of the great Bart Scott. I mean, the day was not looking good from the beginning, but then it, then it was just W's all day long after that. It turned around quickly. How about those New York – actually, I, I not, not even the Jets. How about New York football today? That's, I was just going to – I was actually going to start off by saying, how about those New York football giants? But, <laughs> that but, is the biggest – they said it's the biggest upset of the season in terms of, uh, in terms of the spread. Which I think the Packers were favored by eight or nine. Okay. For, I was for, say so both. for as many surprises as we had this year, that is, you know, at least in the in the the betting eyes, the big one so far. Yeah, uh, from what we've seen on the field, I don't necessarily think that that's the biggest upset. I don't even really think it's that surprising, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but that's interesting. I didn't even know that. But you know, before we get into all this football talk, obviously the first thing that we want to talk about is baseball and what is going down here. But there's one thing I want to talk about before that, Dan. I want to ask you how your week was, because that is the most important thing to me right now. How was your week? My week was good. Staying busy. Uh, I love this time of year. Love October. I uh, love some postseason baseball. So I, I can't complain at all. How was your week? Besides uh, besides the the football struggles. <laughs> yeah, we, we got to fire our head coach. We, we need we need some fresh blood in there, but it was good. Um, actually, it, at work, it's the slow part of the year for us, so I haven't been doing as much overtime, so I've been able to sit down and enjoy some postseason baseball. I literally sat and watched the entire first game of the St. Louis Cardinals and the Philadelphia Phillies. I watched that epic collapse, and yeah. then... Uh, yesterday, I actually sat down for five and a half hours and watched the entire game between. Well, I was flip flopping between the Georgia football game and the Tampa Bay Rays and the Cleveland Guardians. So I got a chance to really sit down and watch some some good old fashioned baseball. The, the, I mean, between those two games, there was like for there, there was like three runs scored in the first like twenty eight innings that I watched, and then you know the 
the Cardinals fell apart in game one, but we can get into that right now. Obviously, that is the most important thing that's going on in the sports world right now is the uh, division series matchups are all set. So, Dan, why don't you read those off to us and we can go we can go uh, matchup by matchup here and really preview what yeah. we think. So first, let me ask you, though, do you do you like watching a game like that between the Rays and Guardians? Because even though it's scoreless, there's a lot of tension. I'm curious if that's the kind of thing you enjoy watching because I, I enjoy it. I I do, too. I think my perception was a little skewed yesterday because I knew how much college football was going on as well. Yeah, and I'm well, like, exactly. why am I watching a 0-0 baseball game in the 38th inning when there's college football going on? So once the I said once the Georgia game was going to start, I would start flip-flopping. But I did turn turn it back to the game just in time to watch Corey Kluber give up the home run to uh, – uh, what was it? Oscar, Oscar Gonzalez. Gonzalez. Okay. I'm, I was going to say Martinez, but Oscar Martinez is a member of the office. Uh, <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't say that one. But yeah, no, I, I genuinely do enjoy watching games like that. Uh, I think it also, believe it or not, pitching duels do make the game go faster too. Yeah. So uh, that, you know, the first the first seven innings went in the first hour and a half. So I was like, wow, this game's good. This game is blowing by. And then, then it started to slow down as the strategic type of, you know, you know, relievers come in and Kevin Cash is playing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but I genuinely do enjoy that. Yeah, but um, yeah. So exactly. basically, everything's set. We are recording this right now while the last wild card game between the Mets and the Padres is going on right now. It's still four nothing, right, Dan? It is still four nothing. So if that changes, uh, I'll let you know. But yeah, I don't yeah, think, I think it's going to change. I think it's. You know, I, we got to be careful because the Mariners, you know, we know what the Mariners did on Saturday, overcoming in a, an 8-1 deficit in Toronto. Right. So we don't want to rule out these Mets who have had some some moments this year where they look like uh, they're not the Mets of old. But today right. they look like the Mets of old. <laughs> uh, so, But we'll, we'll, let's start with, with the safe ones because we know the American League. The right. AL is set. And it's going to be, uh, speaking of those Mariners, they're going to go to Houston. To play their right. uh, their division rival, the Astros, um, and that does mean too that we're going to see postseason baseball in Seattle, which we talked about last week as a possibility. We're going to see postseason baseball in Seattle uh, for the first time in 21 years, <laughs> or at least one game in Game Three. Right, and I think that it's so funny that we talked about this because earlier in the year when we were talking about. I brought it up last week, the home run derby, and we were talking about Julio Rodriguez, how we were like, don't sleep on him, and he made it to the final. We literally said the same exact thing about the the, the Mariners last week. We said, I don't know how much I want to play postseason ball in Seattle. I mean, these are going to be some rabid fans. Granted, it's only going to be for one guaranteed game, but you know, then you get into game four, then you go back to Houston. Houston's rattled at this point because you got to figure – that if it gets to a game five, all the pressure is on Houston. They had the best record in the American League. You know, Seattle is kind of just playing with house money at this point, especially with the way that they started the season. I know that there were certain expectations going into the year on them, but I think a lot of people thought that last year was fluky. Maybe they were going to take a step back this year, and for a certain point, it looked like that was going to happen. But then we started to see the Mariners really, really heat up, and they were the hottest team in baseball going into the postseason. So, I mean, they have to take some momentum from that comeback against Toronto. It's it's going to be a scary proposition to face this team. Yeah, that's the that's the crazy part about this wild card uh, scenario now, the wild card round, because all that pressure instantly 
is on the 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 favorite. You know, that's why the Cardinals were under such pressure after that first game. That's why the Blue Jays kind of caved under the pressure in game two. Uh, you know, the, the Mariners are a team that, you're right, they're playing with house money. Really not a ton of expectations. Nobody's saying, oh, you better go in and, and win in Toronto or your season is worthless. Yeah. You know, they did so much this season uh, just breaking the drought alone. Same thing with the Phillies. You think anybody really had expectations for the Phillies going against the Cardinals? Of course they want to win and they got expectations for themselves. But they know that if, if they lose, uh, it's not the end of the world. They're not under a ton of pressure. So they went in there feeling nothing. And they went in and beat the Cardinals because the Cardinals were the ones under pressure. I think the same thing uh, is happening with the Mets. You know, that's why it was so important to win the division. 101 wins. And now you go into uh, the, the series against a very talented Padres team. You lose game one. And you're all of a sudden under all the pressure. Uh, it, that's kind of, I think that's what makes these, these runs possible by some of these teams. The Mariners are going to go into Houston. Who expects them to beat the Astros? Nobody really. And, you know, if you, if you think they are, it's not like you're going to, uh, criticize them if they don't. I mean, right. they're, they're playing with house money. Um, the Phillies are against Atlanta. The Padres will be as long as they advance against the Dodgers, although they're probably not talented enough to do it. Uh, yeah. And even the Guardians, you know, they've been, they've been, they weren't favorites uh, in the AL Central. I think most people didn't even have them over 500. So yeah, I, I didn't. That's for sure. Yeah. So what do you think about that series, the Yankees and the Guardians? Well, really, the first thing I want to say going back. Uh, you were talking about pressure, and uh, I feel like it has to be mentioned, especially since Toronto uh, lost both games. Uh, what Alec Manoa said before Game One that pressure is something that you put in your tires. So yeah, it's easier said than done. I guess. I guess his tires are a little flat these days. <laughs> but other than that, um, you know, the I, I was talking about this with my dad yesterday, actually, because we were watching baseball together. And I said, to be honest with you, as a Yankee fan, this might sound brash, this might sound arrogant. This Cleveland Guardians team really doesn't scare me at all because we've seen the Yankees beat Shane Bieber. We've seen them beat up on the Guardians, sort of, kind of. Really, the only two teams like in all of baseball that don't kind of sort of scare me are the Minnesota Twins and the <laughs> and the Cleveland Guardians when it comes to the Yankees. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say that they're going to go in there and it's going to be easy. Don't get me wrong, because this Cleveland Guardians pitching staff – is really good. Their offense is not great. 29th in the in the MLB in home runs, but at the same time when your pitching is that good, they are a prime example of, you know, baseball, winning in baseball, you don't have to hit many home runs still in 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 today. You know what I mean? They steal a lot of bases as well. So, they're they're going to be that feisty opponent that I feel like the Yankees will inevitably be able to to handle with relative ease but i could see them being a thorn in the side i really i like i said i don't want to sound overconfident but i don't think this guardians team has the offensive firepower to hang with the yankees because you got to figure if the yankees could score three or four runs they're probably going to win the game i think it's going to be a, a stressful series though because I, I i really do maybe not as low scoring as the rays series but i do think it's going to be low scoring uh tristan mckenzie seems like exactly the type of pitcher this yankees lineup could have a hard time with Shane Bieber does as well, though. I, I'm very aware that they destroyed him two years ago. So mm -hmm. there's always that. Uh, but it, it, it feels like while the pitching should overpower the Guardians hitters, I am a little worried about the in, the Guardians pitching overpowering the Yankees, especially with the kind of the, the lackluster performances we saw from the offense hey, down the stretch. Hey, we got Matt Carpenter coming back. That's it. it, it it's it, over. Is that going to do it? 
It's over. It's not going to be it. <laughs> it's, uh, they might as well just Matt hand the Yankees the pennant. Just hand the Yankees the pennant now that Matt Carpenter's coming back. You see that mustache? Forget it. I hope he still has it. We haven't seen him in a couple months. Last time they did show him on the bench, uh, one of the last regular season games, he still had it. So I'd be oh, really, really disappointed. Yeah, if I were him, if I, yeah, I wouldn't get rid of it. I would be really disappointed if he shaved it. But on a more serious note, I could definitely see your side of it. But I mean, from the two games that we saw, I mean, don't get me wrong. Tampa Bay, I feel like, has one of the most underrated pitching staffs in baseball, especially when you get into their bullpen, too, because, I mean, they were bringing out arm after arm after arm of guys that I'm like, who the hell is this man? And why does he have a mid-one ERA? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like it's like that. I, I, but I think the Yankees have a stable of arms that, at least for namesake, are, are better than the Rays. And, uh, I mean, Cleveland struggled to score runs. I, I really can't see them scoring more runs. If, if Garrett Cole decides to live up to the hype and, you know, pitch like an actual ace, I think that the Yankees won't have any problems because once you get past Cole, you know, Severino was pitching great the last month of the year. Nestor Cortez has been great all year. I'm really not worried about it after Garrett Cole. Isn't that weird to say that I'm kind of sort of worried more about Garrett Cole than any other pitcher on, on the well, Yankees you should roster? Be. I mean, I mean, Nestor's looked fantastic lately and, and Severino's coming off a hitless outing. So Garrett Cole is the one guy to watch. But the good news is his problems are usually with the home run. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned before, Guardians don't hit home runs. It doesn't mean they can't. You know, it doesn't mean Jose Ramirez can't come out and hit one or right. you know, even somebody like Oscar Gonzalez. Uh, I wouldn't put it past Garrett Cole, but he's not facing a team where the lineup is filled with power hitters. I think that's going to help him a ton. It's right. a different story if you when you go on to play the Astros or, or even the Mariners because they he had a, a brutal outing against the Mariners earlier this season. But the right. Guardians – it's a pretty favorable matchup for him. So, you know, as long as the Yankees can manage a few runs uh, off of Bieber or McKenzie or, you know, anybody else they th- anybody else they throw at us after that, uh, they should win. But I, I do think that we're going to be in, in for some low-scoring games. Maybe not a 15-inning scoreless game. <laughs> One-nothing game, yeah. <laughs> you know, if there is, if, if, if that happens, I might have a heart attack. But uh, I, I'm, I'm expecting some low-scoring games, which means quick games, too. Right. I think if if we want to – I mean, if you want to talk about the other AL matchup as well, I mean, there there really isn't much more than I want to say that we haven't said earlier in this episode. I just think that it, it's – I don't want to say it's the same deal because this Seattle team is different. Luis Castillo pitched fantastic as well in his first postseason start for the Seattle Mariners. Um, I think – I really don't know because I don't want to say, oh, you know, Houston could pretty much handle them. I, you you really don't know what you're going to get. This momentum, I mean, coming back the way that they did, really the best thing for the Astros is the time off in between the games, I feel like. Because, you know, a couple days in between games, you cool down a little bit. Uh, but I think that momentum carries. And honestly, if the Mariners can steal a game in Houston – away from the Astros, I mean, you've got to think that the Astros are in some deep trouble going into Seattle. Yeah, going into Seattle at least tied, you know, if yeah. not down. That's the, that's the weird part of, the, of this format, and it's a format they've had for a long time. But even though, yes, it benefits uh, the higher seed, if you split on the road, you that's know, now you're going news, to yeah. – that's what the Red Sox did last year. They split um, in Tampa, and then they played the next two at Fenway, and they won. 
All they needed to do was get that one game. Not saying home wins in games three or four are automatic, but you definitely have an advantage if you can just knock off one at home. That's what the Red Sox did. That's what uh, all these underdogs will be trying to do. I think it, what you're saying too is true about the Phillies. That you know, it, of course, the Braves are much better than the Phillies on paper, but you know, the Braves haven't played in a week, or they will. They won't have played in a week by the time they play game one. Um, and the Phillies, I mean, they have as much momentum as the Mariners. They had a, a similar comeback. Um, they didn't come back by as much, but they were as fired up as the Mariners were. Um, and they've got two elite pitchers in, in yeah. Wheeler and Ola. So if you, I don't think either of them can pitch game one, but if, if you get, if you somehow are able to pick off game one and then you've got Wheeler and Nola back to back, one of those games in Philadelphia, you know, that's the, that's the crazy part of a five game series. It, it really feels like anything can happen when you have a situation like that. No, you're definitely right about that. And, you know, a big problem for the Philadelphia Phillies going into the season was, well, you know, they have the talent in the rotation. They have hitters galore. You know, how is that bullpen going to hold up? And, I mean, Jose Alvarado has probably had the best year of his career up until this point. And the rest of that Phillies bullpen has pitched pretty darn well. I know it's a small sample size through two games, and Zach Wheeler basically pitched seven innings uh, in, in, in game one, but – I, I like what I've seen from the bullpen so far for the Philadelphia Phillies. And uh, if they can hold their own, I, I think it's going to be a very interesting series going into Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta seems like a type of team that loves to play with pressure. So I could I could easily see this going to like a five-game series just based off the fact that Atlanta loves to just be in close matchups, it feels like. I feel like the Atlanta yeah. Braves are the Minnesota Vikings of – baseball where you know they jump out to a huge lead but then somehow the other team sort of kind of comes creeping back at some point and they love to play in close situations but um you know i i think i think you're right about that and really the other matchup we're presuming that the other matchup is going to be the dodgers and the san diego padres and i mean I, like you said before you know I, I don't think that the padres have isn't, isn't that crazy to say that we don't think that the Padres have the talent to keep up with the Dodgers. And you look at that star-studded roster that they have, and you're like, well, how is that true? It, you know, it, it's pretty true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not, they don't really hit a ton of home runs either. I think they're 21st. Uh, you know, if they had somebody named Tatis with his 40 home runs, the, things might be different. But different, yeah, different story. Uh, they don't. And, um, you know, I feel, I feel like the only way that they're going to beat the Dodgers is if their pitching comes out in pitches like this, like you, Darvish, and, and Joe Musgrove have. Um, and if guys like Juan Soto start hitting, you know, Juan Soto had two hits last night, um, but it seems like they can't get everybody hitting on the same night. You know, M- Manny Machado and Jake Cronenworth, I think had a combined one hit in the first two games. Uh, so, you know, Juan Soto is coming along and then they're kind of falling behind. They've got to get this whole lineup going. And I don't really know if they have the personnel to keep up with the Dodgers. Um, I, I don't think the, I, I don't think the pitching even matches up with the Dodgers because of how dominant um, guys like Tony Gonsolin, Tyler Anderson, you know, guys who came out of nowhere. I was going to ask you if Gonsolin is is back for the playoffs. Yeah, he's back. You know, we'll see how much length he can give him. And he actually had a a really tough time in the postseason, I think, in 2020 uh, when they they ended up winning the World Series. So I guess it's not a guarantee. Um, But, you know, Kershaw has been – has looked healthy for a couple of Urias, I mean – Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, I didn't even mention uh, Julio Urias, who's leading the league – leading the NL in ERA. That's how many options they have. So, yeah, that's going to be a challenge. I I don't see that happening. You never know. It would be, listen, 
the net, nobody expected the Nationals to beat him uh, three years ago. Yeah, they went into LA and beat him in Game Five, so can't rule it out. But out of the three series, I feel like that's the one I. It's not even the Padres' fault. It's really because of how good the Dodgers are. But I feel I mean, like that's the one I don't really expect anything of. If you look at their, I mean, the fact that Tony Gonsolin, a guy that was injured from like the better half of the second half of the season, sixteen and one, two sixteen ERA, and that's probably your third option. Like you got to figure it's going to be Kershaw game one, just purely because it's Clayton Kershaw, even though he chokes a lot in the playoffs. And then, you know, uh, Urias, I know that's the, the second way that I said his last name. I say it a different way every single time. Um, then he's probably starting game two and then game three is probably Gonsolin if he's healthy enough. Like that's crazy. Imagine having a pitcher that's 16 and one with a two sixteen ERA and not being like you, you are going out there for game one. No, no, no. you, you're, you're, you're penciled in for game three. So I think that's just a testament to how talented the L.A. Dodgers are. We don't even have to talk about their hitting. We all know how talented they are. Mookie Betts, Trey Turner. I mean, Trey Turner, which actually isn't – all right, this is – not that this is not impressive, but, I mean, Trey Turner is like the only person over the last three years – or he's like one of three people in the past three years that's gone 20-20, 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases. Doesn't that seem like – in like the early 2000s or even like the 90s that that was something that so many people were doing i know that the stolen bases are really a lost art but like that's such a small like i feel like 20 stolen bases over 162 games is something that many people that aren't even that fast could could accomplish yeah i know i think that's it it's kind of like an unwillingness to, uh, to take that risk i know yeah. that stolen bases have actually gone up a little bit this year yeah. i think they said that uh that's kind of one area where analytics is actually helping hitters or in that case, uh, base runners, because they're actually figuring out like exactly when and where to run or, you know, what situations are best to run in, which catchers are better to run, uh, run on. So I think we're seeing them tick up a little bit. I think, uh, I think JT Real Muto had 20, he had a 2020 year as a catcher, which is like really rare for a catcher. I think it was Real Muto. It was Real Muto, Turner, and I think Julio Rodriguez are like only three people. And in the postseason, though, that that's important. You know, that yeah. speed all of a sudden picking up that extra base. And, you know, when you watch a game like the, the Guardians and Rays were moving a runner from first to second, could well, be all the yeah. different. Yeah. That, it, it suddenly becomes really important. So there's another uh, advantage for the Dodgers. And then to your point, it's also an advantage to, some, to have someone like JT Real Muto as an absolute rifle yeah. for an arm as well. So it, it, it's funny how – like these things that we don't really pick up during the regular season because oh, it's 162 games. It doesn't matter as much in in a you know in a vacuum. Now it's like, well, you know, that guy's still second. Look what happened in 2004. You know, if Robert still second and the Yankees fall apart. Right. So. <laughs> Some of these teams put put guys on their postseason roster just just for, for speed. Yeah. The Mets have somebody named Terry. I don't know, I don't know if they've used him in the series. Uh, they have somebody named Terrence Gore on their yeah, roster. Terrence, yeah, he, he's been around for a long time. You don't see him in the regular season. Maybe in September when you when they get the expanded rosters. I think he was on the Royals. Um, I know the Royals had another guy too, Paolo Orlando, who was doing yep. a similar thing during their World Series. Hey, 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 Paolo Orlando hit a triple in the World Series. All right, go put some respect on Paolo Orlando. <laughs> so, sorry. so even better when those guys can hit. But sometimes they just come in. <laughs> In the ninth inning, and uh, you know, you you structure your roster so that you can just replace them if they come up and to try to hit. That's right. what the Mets do with Terrence Gore. So yeah, the the postseason baseball is such a such a different animal. Um, you know, and you mentioned too, like all the the strategy that went into those last few innings of the Guardians' race. 
you know, they've got this whole pitching plan and then you've got guys like Corey Kluber coming in in extra innings. And I think the Rays had two starters pitching that game because Drew mm-hmm. Rasmussen came in second. The strategy changes so much. So that's going to be a fun part of the, uh, of the next round is seeing uh, what the strategies are like, especially for the four teams we haven't seen yet who are all favored, favored pretty heavily. Definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited for it. By the time that we, you know, come back again next week, that's pretty much how many games would be. I mean, it's pretty much over. Like if someone sweeps, it's over at that point, right? Yeah, if somebody sweeps, I think it's over. I think that night, uh, Sunday night would be game four between the Yankees and Guardians. Oh, so, I mean, by this time we might even be talking about potential, you know, championship series matchups, which is crazy. Isn't it? It's crazy how fast the MLB playoffs moves where I feel like other sports like basketball, hockey, it drags on for like a month and a half where I feel like baseball, it's like, all right, we're done. But I'm really excited to see what unfolds. I'm definitely excited to see the Yankees. I mean, sitting there watching baseball uh, this weekend was great, but not seeing my team play hurt a little bit. So getting to, you know, sit down, watch them play, it's going to be really, really exciting. But I mean, we talk about New York. And I think we have to just shift over to the excitement that has been if you told me my dad said this to me the just before like like 30 minutes before we started recording again he goes if you would have told me that a week 5 new york football teams are 7 and 3 after 10 games i would have i would have told you you're freaking crazy and i wow. definitely agree with him the giants yeah. we have to talk about the giants first it was the first game well we Okay, I can believe. You know what, Dan? We don't even have to talk about the Thursday night game. No, because no, no. That was, no we, that we, people the, saw enough of that. That was the worst game. That's the only thing I'm going to say on that. <laughs> that was the worst football game I have ever watched. And I sat and watched the 11 to 10 game earlier, that, to three weeks ago, that went on between the, the 49ers and the Broncos. The Broncos are playing the worst football I've ever seen. And this is coming from a Jet fan. And the Colts are not much better. Moving on to yes. Sunday morning, uh, I'm assuming we both got that game wrong too. By the way, right? Yeah, I had the. Oh wait, the the Thursday night or Sunday morning? Yeah, Thursday. Yeah, I had Denver. I had Denver too, and I, you know what? It's just disgusting. And not to 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 pile on top of it, I had Russell Wilson starting in one of my big money leagues. Oh, what an I idiot! See, yeah, I, I, what I an idiot! What an idiot! But you know, what? I don't even regret picking the Broncos because that was that was the Colts don't deserve credit for what they no. did. They don't. No. They just don't. We'll move on, but they don't. So yeah, definitely. But we'll move on to something a little bit more happy. And and it was a great game overall. The Green Bay Packers and the New York Giants. First off, before I want to say that, I would love if there was a London game every single week because starting my morning off at nine thirty in the morning watching football is is something really really great. But I know that that's really like inconceivable at this point. That's something that really can't be done. But you know, the Giants and the Packers, this was a game that I didn't expect. The Gi- I expected it to be close because the Giants have been playing very good football and they've beaten a couple good football teams. And they were close with the Cowboys for a long time as well in that Monday night game. So I, I thought it was going to be closer, but I thought inevitably Aaron Rodgers, even though he has a Pop Warner team on football, I thought that he was going to I thought he was going to pull it out eventually. But I mean then the only takeaway I really have from this game, two takeaways. One, the Giants are four and one. Three takeaways, actually. <laughs> the Giants are four and one. This is a testament to how a well-coached football team responds. This is not a talented football team by any means. I think we could both agree on that. Definitely. But good coaching 
does that much more. And three, it's time to put some damn respect on the New York Giants. They are four and one. Yeah, I mean, we we sat here and talked about even when they were two and zero that we didn't really think they were a playoff contender. You know what? You you go and beat the Packers. I don't care who Aaron Rodgers is throwing to. I don't care how much the offense struggled. With that roster, you go and beat the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. You stop him on the last drive of the game. You, you're going to deserve some credit, especially at four and one. Uh, with with six, uh, what is it? Yes, yeah. no, seven postseason, uh, seven playoff teams in the NFC. Right, I mean, fourteen total. Yeah. They're a contender. You have to be a yeah. four and one. Yeah, they Especially are. Especially when you're beating some good teams, the Titans, the Packers. Um, yeah, this is a, an extremely well coached team. I, I think I, it sounds like you might agree with me that Brian Dable should be the coach of the year favorite through five games. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love him too, but I love He's, the energy that he brings. And, you know, he came out even after this game. All right. You know, all, the, all these good things happened. The Giants beat the Packers. Big surprise. He came out, and I saw that Pro Football Talk uh, interviewed him. And he went on this rant about how there got there to be no excuses with this team. There's no, no excuse for uh, any blown play, anything like that. You know, he's still holding their feet to the fire when they beat the Packers, when nobody expects it in London. That's that's the great thing about him. Joe Judge is is yeah. so far away from Brian Dable. He's so far below him that it, it's it's almost unbelievable how well this hire went. And I know this is kind of going off course, but if you remember in January, the reports were that the only reason the Giants weren't were probably weren't going to fire Joe Judge is because they didn't want they didn't like the optics of firing the coach after two years for the third time in a row. Because they fired McAdoo uh, after two years, they fired Shermer after two years. They didn't want they didn't like the optics of, of doing it again. I'm so glad they did. Uh, they did because those last two games were horrendous. They, there was actually like a concrete report that they were bringing him back, and then those last two games were an embarrassment. I'm sure you remember that fourth and nine quarterback sneak. Uh, against Washington in the, in the final week of the season. So I think that goes to show if if you don't have the right coach, make the move. And this might be important for the Broncos at the end of the season. Oh my don't God, be afraid of the optics of firing a guy after one or two years. Just make the move. Because it, could you imagine if they still had Joe Judge coaching this team and Brian Dable was out somewhere and I don't know. Yeah, yeah they'd be 0-5 right somewhere now. Somewhere Actually – there's there's one thing that I think we forgot to mention before we move on to the next game about this game. Um, first off, from the Green Bay Packers perspective, I mean, this is going to be a common occurrence, I feel like, all year with this team where they're going to lose games that they probably should win. And they're probably going to win games that they should probably lose because that's just whatever whatever receiving core decides to show up that day is what Aaron Rodgers is going to work with. Two, I think Daniel Jones was 100% up for the task today. I love the way that – I mean, listen, what was it, 210 passing yards his first game this year with over 200 passing yards. He had like 37 rushing yards as well. I mean, the stats won't blow you away. But if you watched the game and you watched how he accrued those stats and watched it in, in one of the – in the drive that they tied the game, he was like – he was 7 of 8, I think, for 55 yards – really drove them down the field. Like he performed when it mattered. And I'm still not saying that Daniel Jones is a long-term answer, but damn it. He looked pretty good today. And that's a, that's a solid green Bay Packers defense too, that he no turnovers. Saquon is back to his elite self, which is so great to see. There's a lot of positives to take from this, from this Giants team right now. Do you, I feel like they owe it to him to add a receiver, like not, not just any receiver. They owe it to him to trade for a receiver. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's got no help right now. 
Uh, you know, it's not all, it's not all their fault. I mean, well, Kenny Galladay kind of is their fault. Kenny Galladay <laughs> is terrible. Um, Canarius Tony's hurt, and Sterling Shepard is out for the year. And Wondell Robinson is hurt too. Yes, they they have literally nothing besides their backfield, which you know credit to Saquon, Saquon Barkley, he's doing so much right now. They they really owe it to Daniel Jones, even if they're not going to keep him because he's going to be a free agent. Even if they're not going to keep him, they need to give him a chance. They also yeah. need to give their fan base a chance. They're four and one. You need to to trade for a receiver. I don't care yeah. how much cap space they have. Make this is the time. This is the time to make the trade. You're yeah. four and one. I said it before. I'll say it again. You're playing with house money at this point. No one expected you to be four and one. So you know what? Ride the wave. Yeah. Go in Go and get a receiver. It. Give yourself a chance. Give you because you know this team can can maybe make the playoffs nine and eight, ten and seven. Yeah. But but if you add if you have a cohesive offense, you can start winning some games that you otherwise probably wouldn't have a shot. At. So that that's my suggestion to. Uh, to, to Joe Shane, who's running the Giants. I don't know if, he, if he's going to listen, but they should, they should consider <laughs> that. Um, I gladly lost that football. That I gladly lost that pick. Yeah, I, I had the Packers all the way. I was A lot of people completely did. okay losing that one. That's all right. Um, moving on, the next game on our pick is the most – I mean, this – listen, listen, Dan. This might get graphic, what I'm going to say here, but this game – belongs under a certain category of Pornhub that I think that we can't even describe <laughs> right now. This was just an utter embarrassment. And you know what? I'm very disappointed in Mike Tomlin because this is literally the hardest game on your schedule to throw a rookie quarterback in his first start. This is a yeah. this was a yeah. bad game to throw Kenny Pickett in there. And you know what? Honestly, I don't think he did a bad job. I know that they only scored three points. But he didn't really do that bad of a job. He made some really nice throws. George Pickens looked good as well. I'm trying to take some positives from it. But mind you, this is the most expensive defense in the NFL. Most expensive defense on the NFL. And they looked. They gave 350 passing yards in the first half. Now, granted, I know that one of the most expensive player on that defense is not playing. And I know that he makes a significant impact when he's on the field. I don't think... That that defensive line, you could have had Merlin Olsen, Alan Page, you know Reggie White, and Bruce Smith, and I don't think that they would have stopped uh, Josh Allen today. You don't think T.J. Watt would have made a thirty-five point difference today? No, you know, absolutely you know, not. I don't think so. Out there who probably believes that? There's, some, <laughs> there's somebody out there saying if we had T.J. Watt, we would have had this game. No, but but Josh Allen was was on another level today, and I, I hope you saw the 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 catch that I posted, uh, the second catch, the second touchdown catch. Oh yeah, that was unbelievable, unbelievable catch, an unbelievable throw. The throw couldn't have been more perfect. Somebody commented that I, you know I didn't give him enough credit. I didn't give Josh Allen enough credit. The throw and the catch were so beautiful on that on that play. I really think that sums up uh, the Bills' offense right now. And you know, Stefan Diggs goes for a casual was 105 yards. Nobody cares because no one even cares. 170. I mean, Josh Allen, doesn't it feel like that game could have gotten even more out of hand if they put their foot kept their foot on the gas in the second half? If they kept their foot on the gas, Josh Allen would have thrown for 600 passing yards. He was on pace for 700 at the end of the first half. He had 348. Yeah. Yeah. He, he probably could have he probably could have set some records today if they kept if they kept at it. But uh no, the, the Bills are back. You know, not, not that they ever lost ever left but they had a few injuries they're still dealing with some injuries um including in the secondary which might be why kenny pickett was able to take advantage a little bit today even though they didn't mm-hmm. turn the points uh but the bills comfortably look like i'm still comfortable calling them the best team in the nfl as good yeah, as the eagles too. have been 
Uh, I think they're one and two right now. I still I still have the Bills at the top. Um, today proved why. And, uh, you know, what you said about Kenny Pickett, about this being the worst time to throw him in there, it's true, but their stretch of games coming up is brutal too. Like this is this is only the start of a rough stretch yeah. of games. They play the, the Buccaneers defense next, and I don't think the Bucs are, are that great so far, but their defense is very good. Yeah. You know, what, what Mahomes did to them doesn't count. He's Patrick Mahomes. Other than that, the defense has been excellent. I think um, against a rookie, they're probably going to have their way with him, and it's really not going to be his fault. So, you know, then you're saying, okay, well, if he's not playing against the Bills or the Bucks, now you're going into uh, week six with Trubisky, and, you know, it's it's almost – or week seven with Trubisky. It's almost too much. So, you know, it, it, I feel like the, the way the schedule was constructed – just didn't really give Mike Tomlin a good opportunity to put in Pickett. I guess he wanted, he really wanted to get that win in against the Jets before he hit this rough stretch, and they couldn't do it. Ain't win the, um, against the Jets, baby. No. Nah, Dan Green said, no way, Jose. But, but <laughs> one and four, potentially going on one and five. Not going to say, listen, the, the Bucks look like they have some issues too, so I'm not going to call that an automatic loss. But it, it, it's looking like this could be the one where Mike Tomlin has a losing season. Yeah, I mean – there's just a whole bunch of factors going into it. As as good as the defense looks on paper, that's how bad the offense looks on paper, too. I mean, you have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, and they added Mason Cole and James Daniels, too, and it's still bad. That should really say something when you add one of the better young guards in the NFL, and you're still really, really bad. They Najee like Harris that. is not good. Yeah. and I, I It's not, not even the Lions' fault. Yeah, he's, he's it's just not overcoming it at all. Yeah, he's not good. Pat Fryermuth is is you know one week he's good one week he's a no show. Pickens honestly seems like all around the best option right now. Deontay Johnson, you know Deontay Johnson is good. Chase Claypool is a waste after his good rookie season. He's just been terrible after that. Um, I think there's a lot to be done. I think that this is going to be maybe a two year. It, they let the offense get so bad that I think that this is a two year rebuild on the offensive side of the ball because I don't think there's any way, especially if well, no, Claypool can't leave after this year. But I was going to say that, I mean, this offensive line needs a total revamp. Total revamp. You need to add another weapon. They're probably going to trade Chase Claypool. Maybe they'll trade him to the Giants. You know, hopefully. There's a, there's a match. Yeah, maybe they'll trade him to the Giants. They need another weapon because, I mean, Pickens is great. Deontay Johnson is great when he's playing his good football. You just need one more guy. I think this is a two-year rebuild, honestly, on the offensive side of the ball. But we've seen this before with the with the Pittsburgh Steelers where – you know, they look bad the first half of the year, and then they somehow come storming back. I agree with you, though. I don't think that we're going to see it this year. The stretch is just too, too brutal for them to overcome. I mean, we're looking at a team that could easily, after this stretch, be 1-7. You know, like, it, it's that's bad, and that's really bad. That's unfamiliar ter- territory for Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, on the Buffalo side, I, I agree with you. I think there was a couple weeks where their offense looked a little disengaged, I mean, they came out guns a blazing, and they they do still look like the best team in football. I will agree with you on that. I did pick the Bills. I'm assuming you did as well. Yes, I had the Bills. In fact, I think this was the biggest point spread uh, of the season so far. The Bills are favored yeah, by 14. 14, and they covered it by a lot. And I was going to take it, too, as my lock of the week, but I didn't because I was like, 14 is too crazy. I was like, you even know, with the- No, I think you're right. I mean, you never know with the Steelers. Sometimes they, yeah. they beat the Bills last year. Sometimes they come out and have that surprise game. So it's better to just stay away. But yeah, the Bills lived up to their expectations and then some. Yeah, the next game on the slate. And hats off to you, Dan Tracy, because this, ah, I was like, 
you know, this guy plus two and a half, his lock of the week. The Browns somehow pulled it off. I mean, he he won his lock of the week by a half a point. But you know what? A win is a win. Hats off to you, sir. This was a this was a game. Surprisingly, I mean, from from the L.A. Chargers side, surprisingly more about the run game than anything. I mean, Austin, this might have been Austin Eckler's best game ever running the football. I mean, 19 carries, 173 yards and a touchdown. I mean, granted, 72 of those yards came on one carry, but the guy was just, I mean, they couldn't stop him. They Every time he touched the ball, he turned it into positive net yards. He was incredible today. Yeah, I'm happy for the Chargers. They've dealt with so many injuries. They still don't have Keenan Allen back. They don't have Rashawn Slater and Mont for the rest of the year. Um, and yet the offense really looks good. It looks like it's supposed to. But the the Browns need a change. And the Browns fans hate uh, – I, I, I feel fine saying that word because they really despise defensive coordinator Joe Woods. And for good reason. This performance was was inexcusable. Uh, yeah. The Chargers' run game has been terrible this year. You know, I, I know Austin Eckler is a, is a good back. He's very dynamic, very versatile. Uh, but they, they haven't been able to do anything this year. And part of that I mean, is they made him look like prime Barry Sanders today. I mean, that's, uh, he know. came out and looked like Barry Sanders against the Browns' defense, and it's becoming a trend. They do this every game. We saw them against the Jets, um, and what they what they did at the end of the game. You know, the onside kick was just part of the problem. The bad defense was another part of the problem. They they make a routine of just collapsing the, the Browns went up 14 nothing today uh Nick Chubb looked like he was going to have another fantastic that's game. back in the league that's back he, in the league right now he Nick Chubb at 105 yards two touchdowns they were up 14 nothing and they blew it and not only did they blow it once they kept blowing it the, the Browns kept giving themselves the chance with the offense and they kept giving it back to the Chargers <laughs> now I feel like we need to address the end of this game which was just a, like a medley of 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 awful decisions first of all Jacoby Brissett uh, had a chance to to give the Browns a lead, or even just let them kick the, the go ahead field goal, and he threw a, a he threw an interception directly to a Chargers defender, uh, almost like it was a receiver. That was bad. And then Brandon Staley, instead of punting and, and giving the Browns terrible field position, decides to go for it. Uh, in in I, I don't even know where they were on the field, but it was it was it was advantageous to the Browns. I um, decided to go for it on fourth and one or fourth and two. Uh, and they didn't get it when all they had to do was just pin him with a punt. You know what's funny too is that last year he was that guy. He was like, oh, you know, oh, here we go with the voice again. But oh, you know, I uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm a risk taker. And then he risk taked himself right out of the playoffs last year. This year he is reeled it back significantly. And then you go for it on fourth down. That like I, I almost feel bad. Like it's like you can't win no matter what he's. We thought Anthony Lynn was a bad decision maker. Like yeah. Brandon Staley just picked up. Like he was like, "Hold my beer, bro." Like, like I am. I am going to be worse than you. Like, ugh. yeah. But, uh, I mean, so it feels like nobody deserved to win this game. But no, I, I really do think if the Browns just had a defense that didn't collapse in these important moments they'd be one of the better teams in the AFC with or without Deshaun Watson. They yeah. played like that. But this this Joe Woods defense, I, I really don't know. This is his third year in Cleveland um, on, with Kevin Stefanski. I don't know what else it takes for him to lose his job. So there's there's one job we're going to be paying attention to tomorrow, and that's because I'm going to talk about this later. I think based on what I read, it sounds like Matt Rule has a chance of being fired. But besides for that, Good. besides that, I, I do think – uh, Brown's defensive coordinator Joe Woods is getting close because th- this is 
How many games can the defense be your fault, especially when you have all that talent? Miles Garrett was back. Jadavian Clowney was back. You've got Denzel Ward in the secondary. Yeah, that's my that's my rant for today because something's got to change there, and I hope they do. And to be fair, too, I mean, it's not like this secondary looks like mincemeat either. Like they're, you know, you got talent. Like you said, Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom has looked really good so far this year as well. Like, like you have to blame the defensive coordinator at this point. Like it's, I mean, the run the the run defense is awful. It's it. They're lucky that the Houston Texans are in the league, or else it would by far be the worst and in the entire league. But. Well, I did you, you should mention you see the Browns traded for Deion Jones. Yeah, I was just gonna I was just gonna say I, I was yeah. reading that while we were talking before. He's on uh, IR, but it's still on IR, right? But could be a big be impact when he comes back. Yeah, that might be their reason not to fire Joe Woods. You know, you know he's not they made, they they talking, but I guess he's someone, you know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but I did pick the uh I picked the the Chargers in this one. Yeah, I had the Browns. I felt good about it. No Keenan Allen, Miles Garrett back, Browns, uh, AFC North weather in Cleveland. Just, you know, that's why that's why I have such a problem with Joe Woods because everything lined up. <laughs> Your personal vendetta Joe Woods for his now. defense. But at least I got the lock of the weekend. Yeah, you definitely did there. So you improved too. I messed up on Instagram, by the way. I said that you were one and two because I couldn't remember if you won one of the weeks. So I didn't want to say two and two. I didn't want to say one and three. But then you should appreciate the dedication because I literally went back to the last four episodes and I, I listened to all that that part of like them. And I was like, okay, so he's two and two. So you improved Thank to you. three and two. <laughs> uh, I don't want to shortchange you, Dan. I, I, I care about uh, I, you. I, I, but, I respect the honesty, the integrity. <laughs> says a lot about yeah, it. I was I was just gonna I was just gonna put one and three and be like, yeah, if he sees it, maybe he'll change it. If not, but, <laughs> I, but think, I think I one and like, three would have caught my attention. <laughs> I figured that it would catch your attention, but uh, I did pick this game as well. Moving on to the next game, and uh, I mentioned it. I kind of like previewed it before when I was talking about the Atlanta Braves, but the Minnesota Vikings looked like they were going to score 50 points and Justin Jefferson was going to have 380 receiving yards in this game. And they just took their foot off the gas. They said, you know what? Let's just let, let's just throw him a bone. And I'm not throwing Justin Fields a bone in this one. Absolutely not. If you think that I'm going to throw him a bone, no, because when you're down by that much and you're chasing that much, the entire game, I don't care what you say. The defense changes. It's more of a "Hey, let's bend, not break" type of type of thing when when you're up that much. But uh, Darnell Mooney made probably the catch of the, well, ah, George Pickens. Damn it! I was going to say that was probably the catch of the year, but that Pickens catches catch of the month. Yeah, maybe. definitely catch of the week. That was incredible. Um, Kirk Cousins started off the game like 17 of 17 for like 176 yards or something like. Something incredible, but then of course he remembered. He looked himself in the mirror at halftime and said, "You're Kirk Cousins," and then went out there and didn't really play that great in the second half. Um, not much to really take away from this game for me. It's just that Chicago is going to keep losing. Somehow they were two and two after four games. I think by the end of this stretch, we're going to see them at like two and seven, and then be like, "Oh, okay, that's the Bears. Like they're not supposed to be two and two." Um, you know the Vikings. Funny enough, if the season ended right now, the last three picks in the first round would be the Giants, the Vikings, and the Eagles. That's pretty funny, uh, especially the Giants one. That's really funny. But yeah, but um, yeah, but in terms of Chicago, 
it was nice to see David Montgomery back and he looks pretty good. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just never going to give the Chicago Bears any credit whatsoever for anything. So you might as well just take it away. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they that they ended up losing that one because it's not it's not a game they deserve to win. I, I it, you know, I'm not a Justin Fields guy at all, but I will say he's been so bad this year that today actually is something maybe to give him credit for. Because yeah, he actually didn't look that bad. I just didn't want to say it. Completions in the first half, which is a problem. But he had 12 in the second half. And yes, he took advantage of a defense that changes mentality. But even before, I didn't think he was capable of that. So, you know, I'll give him a little something. Um, but, you know, I, in the beginning of this game, I'm thinking, finally, a game where the Vikings do exactly what they what we expect them to do. You know, they come out and dominate a team that – uh, that they should be dominating. And then they, they turn it into that where they look like they, you know, I think they, they trailed at one point, right. You know, they look like they, yeah. they had a chance to lose that game. Um, it, it's, it reminds me a lot of that lions game. The only difference is they trailed the entire lions game, but this time they actually pulled something out at the end. Um, I guess it's better than past Vikings teams because in past Vikings teams might just completely fold uh, and give it up once the lead is gone. So you know, good on them for, for moving to four and one. Four and one is four and one. Yeah, like um, we we continue to say, you know, um, four and one is four and one. A win is a win. And I guess, um, I I guess if you're more of a caliber team like the Lions, the Bears, the Jets, the Giants, I guess you can continue to say a win is a win. But what Vikings team are we seeing? I just don't understand. Different every, different I, just, I don't get it. We're five weeks into the year, and I don't know if the Minnesota Vikings are as good as their record indicates. We should have a good understanding at this point of how good this team is, and we don't because the defense looked fantastic in the first half. Kirk Cousins looked like Bernie Kosar, and 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 then the second half, everything fell apart. I don't understand it. This is a common trend with this with this team. So. I, I, Kevin O'Connell's really got to shape this team up and we, we really just have to see a more consistent performance. Honestly, I'd rather see, this might sound crazy. I'd rather see a consistent performance throughout the entire game where they lose. And I know that you're going to say, well, in week two, they were consistently bad all game <laughs> and they, and they, and that's consistent. True. But I would rather see them play well consistently and lose like a, like a, like a 24, 21 game or something that would, you know, not as many turnovers, like not as much, just no mistakes. Just, I want to see a complete football team. I want to get a good synopsis of what this team is about, because I still have no idea after five weeks, you know, they're going to go lose to the bears in Chicago. Of course they are. It's going to happen. Of course. But I did pick the Vikings. On yeah, this I, one, I, I, I will never, I will never pick the Bears ever again this year. I, I, don't I, picked, I, them over, I picked them over the Texans, so I, at least I, I did get one of their wins right. I that's how little faith I had in them that I picked the Texans over the Bears. But you know, um, but that's how much I knew, like, like that I was going to get what's coming to me from Bears fans. I was like, no <laughs> way that they actually fulfill my prediction uh, and go one, and, you know, start one and two after that forty. Of course, they're going to win, and Bears fans are going to come for me, and they did. But now we've got two losses in a row. Dan, so I'm looking, I'm looking a little better. I think you'll be all right from here on out. Um, the biggest disappointment of the week is up next. And I, I have no shame in admitting that this was the fourth time in five weeks that I did pick the Detroit Lions to win. Uh, and this was a terrible performance. Uh, Bill Belichick continues to prove that he's Jared Goff's grandfather. Uh, he just he has his number. Uh, granted, you know, the Detroit Lions had some injuries again today. I'm pretty, Amon Ross St. Brown came back, didn't really look like he was still a hundred percent. 
I don't really think it mattered though. I, I don't no. think that, you know, having Megatron and Barry Sanders on the field with them today, I don't really think it would have made much of a difference. This is, this is what I mean. We want to talk about inconsistency. We're talking about Bill Belichick who one week looks like, Oh, you know what? Maybe it was him that led Brady to all these titles. And then you're like, what the hell is he doing? This was one of those weeks where it was like, he's still a defensive mastermind because he made the best. They're, they're up there as one of the best offenses in the league, right? Statistically, or at least before this week, they were. The Lions were, were they might've been the highest scoring team before yeah. this week. Every single game was, was all it was going way over. Yeah, so you he know, blamed, their defense he was them. just as bad, but you know it's amazing that they managed to turn in uh, zero points today. I mean, you, you rarely see that in the NFL to begin with. Even with the bad offenses, you usually don't see a shutout. Isn't this like the third time already this year we've seen a shutout? Well, what else? What else have we seen? Well, I know that the the Jaguars shut out the Colts. Oh, 24 nothing. Yeah. And I feel like there was another one, or at least it was something close. I I feel like there was another shutout. I could be wrong though. Well, I probably you know, I'm usually wrong, but the uh, do you remember? Do you remember two years ago? Uh, you, you really you shouldn't remember this. I don't know why anybody would besides <laughs> me. But um, the 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 Chargers the year that Justin Herbert was a rookie, and he they were actually playing a lot like the Lions. And Anthony Lynn is their coach, so they weren't winning games. But every game, Justin Herbert looked good. The offense looked good. Um, it looked like things were coming around. And they went and played Cam Newton and the Patriots the year they went uh, seven and nine. Mm-hmm. And they lost something like forty-five nothing. Like yeah, that was legitimately that. the score. It was like forty-five nothing. I remember just that for no reason. Like special teams just completely owned uh, the the Chargers. It's not like they did any. Not like Cam Newton did anything special. That was today's game. They went in and just owned them for no reason other than like the the whole team just played a little bit better than yeah. everybody. You know, it's kind of it's kind of unexplainable. And for that game, for that team, uh, it was very unexplainable because they went and finished seven and nine. Uh, and then the Chargers won like their last four games to also finish seven nine. It's not like the 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 Patriots were that much better than the Chargers. Belichick just kind of had one of those games where he out coached and they all were they were out prepared. I guess yeah. that was today. Yeah, that was definitely today. And uh, someone called it before the game. They were like, "This is going to be the Matt Patricia uh, <laughs> revenge game." And I'm like, "Why would it be a revenge game? He was terrible in Detroit. It's not like he. It's not like he was wrongfully fired. fired. He was him. awful. Like it shouldn't be a. Re- if anything, it should be a revenge game for the Detroit Lions. But it was anything but. I mean, there's not really much to say. The Lions looked horrible today. Uh, Bill Belichick won with Bailey Zappi as his quarterback. So I mean, hats off to Bill Belichick today. He he gets. He gets a nod of the cap for me because I, I don't know how you'd be able to win with Bailey Zappi as your quarterback and almost do it two weeks in a row, mind you. But uh, I did pick the Detroit Lions, and I was thoroughly unimpressed <laughs> with them. Yeah, I picked them too. I was a little worried about it, but once I saw that that Mac Jones wasn't playing and that St. Brown was coming back, I said, all right, they better be able to pull this one off. And it, it wasn't even close. I'm very disappointed. Yeah, uh, moving on. Moving on to the next game, and I'm a little biased with this one because uh, I had a significant amount of money riding on a parlay today. Parlay Pete was in his prime today. Was in his prime today. He hit his first seven. I had an eight leg parlay, and I had the Seattle Seahawks, and the Seattle Seahawks let me down, and I was very upset about it. But dude, I hit some real good ones in there. I had Houston over Jacksonville. I had the Jets over Miami. You know, I well, everything else was a favorite, but the other one, the other underdog was the Seahawks. So it was a significant amount of money would have been won. 
so I'm a little salty about that. But this was, I mean, the Seattle Seahawks continue to play very, very interesting football games. And I think that's all we could really ask for from this team. Geno Smith continues to look great. They, they scored 32 today on a great Saints defense. Not a, it's not their fault, not the offense's fault, I should say. Geno played very well. Tyler Lockett had a huge game. I will say I'm very upset that Rashad Penny, uh, I think he has a fractured leg. You know, I was very big on Rashad yeah, Penny. Fractured tibia. Yeah. And he was starting to really come into his own. He had a huge game against the, the Lions. And yet again, an injury catches up to him. And it's not even like a, a soft tissue injury or anything like that. You can't really prevent a broken leg. So that's disappointing. I guess we're going to see a lot more of Kenneth Walker. Uh, but I think the story of this game is the Saints. And this is kind of the offense that I thought we'd see from them this year. Um, of course, James, Michael Thomas didn't play. Uh, James Winston didn't play. Andy Dalton looked pretty good. I know the Seahawks offense is a uh, Seahawks defense is terrible, but Andy Dalton looked pretty good. Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill was the star of this game. I mean, yeah, he was, he was running all over the field. By the end of the game, he was basically commanding the offense, which makes me wonder if they're going to start him next week. Please no. Uh, if Taysom Hill isn't ready, I mean, if uh, James no. isn't ready, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> he looked like you know. He looked like the, the face of this offense today, and it was the first time in three weeks or first time since, what, week one that they won. So yeah. I, I almost wouldn't blame them if they stuck with Taysom Hill. This was, a season, think, this was a season-saving win, I feel yes, like, for, yes. for the no, Saints today. It's the same, same, same thing as what we said about uh, the Lions and Patriots last week is that it's a huge game because if you go to one and four, you've got major, major issues. It's bad, If yeah. the Saints went to one and four, they would have major issues. Two and three – now you've got Michael Thomas reportedly coming back next week. Um, I, I kind of feel confident in Andy Dalton if he ends up having to keep starting. Over I was going to say, I, I really don't know if I want Jameis Winston to come I back. I do, not if he's going to turn over the ball. Andy Dalton has, is just not turning over. I think they had one interception today. I'll, that's fine. One interception in two games. I think it was by Tariq Wallen, who's a, been a, a terrific rookie he's been great, for, yeah. for the Seahawks. Um, you know, we'll let that pass. I think Andy Dalton right now, I said this last week, I still believe it. He's earned the chance he's to keep the best chance to win. Yeah. Uh, but Taysom Hill, I don't know. Taysom Hill looks like he's the focal point of that offense right now. Um, Alvin Kamara had a huge game too. He's healthy. He had over a hundred rushing yards. This is what I thought we'd see from the Saints offense. And if we continue to see a little bit more of that, I think they can maybe win their, their second game against the Buccaneers later this yeah. year and stay in playoff contention. We'll and see you know what? Olave, Olave came in today, four catches, 54 yards, and a touchdown in a mitigated passing offense. Yeah, Still and he left early, solid. too. He had a concussion. Yeah, looks very solid to me as well. I mean, he he continues to look like the best rookie wide receiver so far. I mean, I would love to say about Garrett Wilson. He just, ever ever since week two, he hasn't really had the opportunities that I'd like to see, but that's, that's a whole different conversation. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of positives to take away from New Orleans and and – it's unfortunate with Seattle. I mean, I really like I like what Geno Smith did today is that he spread the ball around a lot as well. You got both of your star wide receivers involved. And really, like, am I the only one? This is kind of a side note before we move on to the next game. But am I the only one that feels like Tyler Lockett's career has been just completely overlooked? Oh, like, yeah. Like. Oh, guy, I, I, ranked him, I ranked him, I think, what, 20th this year in my in my receiver rankings. And people were like, haha, why is Tyler Lockett there? Like, this guy's putting up 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns a year the last two yeah. years as as arguably the number two option. I, you know, at least he's he's a co-number one receiver with DK Metcalf. He's had a, a great career, and he's only gotten better. 
as it's gone on. So I, yeah. Yeah. His first, if I recall, like his first two or three years or two years, really, he wasn't really like a part of the offense. No, he was doing some kick returning, I think, or punt returning. And uh, it took him a little bit to become a legitimate starting receiver. Hold on. Um, I'm looking at it now because I'm, I'm curious. Um, He's still getting better. The numbers keep going up with each year. Yeah. One, two. Uh, So Believe it or not, he actually made a first-team All-Pro his rookie season as, as, as a, a kick returner. As a returner, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the Pro Bowl. And since then, he actually hasn't made a Pro Bowl or a All-Pro team. And it's funny because you look at his career so far, 476 catches, 6,369 yards, 45 touchdowns. I feel like no one cares about Tyler Lockett at all. He kind of like, reminds me a little bit of Keenan Allen. He kind of just goes out there and does his job. You know, yeah, and he's not always the top receiver either. You know, that's, um, you know, Keenan Allen is kind of second. I know he hasn't played in a few weeks, but he's kind of second to Mike Williams. Uh, but he goes, he still goes out there and does his job. That's what Tyler Lockett does. You know, he's he's Mister Reliable for them. Even when DK Metcalf yeah. had a a surprisingly down year last year uh, in a in an offense that didn't really live up to expectations, Tyler Lockett kept doing what he's what he does. So I yeah I think it's you make a good point. He he's somebody who's. Uh, our career probably doesn't get appreciated enough, but he yeah. spent his whole career with Seattle. So I think that the I think the Seahawks, um, you know, can at least honor him when his career is over because he's done so much for them. He's probably close to the top of their receiving leaderboards. I would I would of, think you know, so. Steve Largent and a couple of those other guys. So yeah, but I did pick the Seattle Seahawks in this. I, you probably picked the Saints, right? I have picked the Saints five weeks in a row. I've gotten it right <laughs> twice, and I don't regret it. <laughs> hey, you know what? 40% gets you in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And that's you're right. I think they're coming around. around. I think they're coming around. I think the Saints are going to are gonna make a run. You heard it here first. All right. Are you ready? Right, are you ready? I want to hear from you about this game. All right. So I was adamant the entire week. That the Jets were beating the Miami Dolphins. And you know what? Yeah. You could say whatever you want. Teddy B was going to start the game. And then one play in, Sauce Gardner knocked him on his ass and sent him into concussion protocol. Okay. Skylar Thompson came in. The fact of the matter is the Jets are a really, really good fourth fourth quarter team this year and pretty much nothing else at this point. But especially in the third quarter, the Jets are like statistically the worst team in the third quarter. Throughout, throughout five weeks this season. It's, like, laughably bad. Like, I think they averaged, like, 60 yards of offense in the third quarter. Today they had 46 yards of offense in the third quarter. It just continues to be a trend. But this is a team that coming into today was fourth in the league in in um, passing yards per game, which is crazy. That was more of a Joe Flacco stat than anything. You know, the blend of offense was the most impressive thing today. Uh, besides for the defense really, really clamping down in the fourth quarter, the the getting Brees Hall, I know he had a slow start to his career up until last week. Even though last week he scored a touchdown, he didn't really, didn't really have a great game. This week, fantastic. Fantastic football game he played. Michael Carter, they continued. This is – we're really seeing a dual threat at running back here for the Jets now because, I mean, at the beginning of the game, I'm like, why did Michael Carter get the first six touches of the game? And then Brees Hall comes in, and basically his second touch is a 79-yard catch. And mind you, if he would have dragged that last defender another yard, that would have been one of the best plays of the season so far. Because he legitimately took that defender like 10 yards with him. But anyway, I, I, I think that what was really nice to see today, I was really critical of the Jets earlier in this week 
I did a collaboration with another YouTuber and we did quarterly report cards for the NFL. And when it got up to the Jets, I gave the Jets a D throughout the first four games of the season. And the reason why is because I thought the Jets only played two and a half good quarters of football through four games. You know, the the fourth quarter against Cleveland, the first half of the first quarter against Pittsburgh, and then the fourth quarter against Pittsburgh. This was finally the most complete performance that we've seen from this Jets team. And you know what? Rookie quarterback or not, they put up 40 points. They held a very potent offense with Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill in it to 17 points. This Jets defense needs a little bit more respect. I think, first off, I think that Sauce Gardner gets the gets the rookie of the week, the defensive rookie of the week. I thought he played fantastic. Besides for an iffy pass interference call in the first quarter against Tyreek Hill, I think he played excellent. And I, I'm really this is a performance that gets me really, really excited to see them against Green Bay next week. I'm not dreading Green Bay. I'm excited to see what they can build on after this. Yeah, I think the 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 best thing about this Jets team, and this is what they were trying to do in the offseason. So week one, who did we say was was really the highlight of the offense? It was Michael Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then week two, when they beat the Browns, Garrett Wilson. Um, we'll ignore the Bengals game. And then when they when they beat the Steelers, it was Zach Wilson, who had, who had a, a very up and down day, but it was still Zach Wilson and Corey Davis, because Corey Davis had two huge plays late in that game. And then today it's Brees Hall. That's exactly what they were trying to do. They have options. They have weapons. It's no longer built around one or two guys, and when it was, those guys weren't any good either. They've got four or five legitimate options in this offense that can almost take over a game. Today was the Brees Hall game. Uh, I love I love seeing Brees Hall play. That that was one of the highlights of the day was that that run where he dragged the defender, or um, it was a catch and run, right? Where he dragged yeah, the defender catch and run, yeah. 15 yards down to the one-yard line. Um, you know, I know some people like you, like you said, are going to look at this and say, "Oh, they beat a they beat a third string quarterback who hadn't played in the NFL before." They they scored forty points on a very good defense, uh, and Sauce Gardner was the the biggest reason why that defense, why the Jets' defense thrived. He he had himself a day. Um, you talk about defensive rookie of the week. I think we're we got to start looking at defensive rookie of the year. Uh, I know yeah. NFL.com ranked him the number one rookie in the, in the he, league. He has. I know it's weeks. five games. But he has absolutely lived up to the bill of yeah. of the number one cornerback in that class. And not absolutely. a lot of corners come in and dominate from from, or at least not a lot of corners come in and play excellently from uh, from day one. It usually takes a couple of years. Yeah. Um, I look at I look at some of the uh, the top corners in the NFL right now. Jalen Ramsey had that breakout year in year two. Uh, Darius Slay it took like three or it took about three years for him to become uh, a high end corner. Um, you know who who else is out there? I mean, Denzel really, Ward. Denzel Ward. It took a. He had a good rookie year, but maybe. it took him about three seasons to become a, a really top tier corner. That's what Sauce Gardner has been—a yeah. top tier corner. Five games in. Yeah, it's 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 fantastic to see. It really is, and I think one thing has to be said about Zach Wilson too. Zach Wilson played a, like a, a, a similar to Daniel Jones. You look at his stats; they don't blow you off the page. But Zach Wilson made. And this is from PFF. This is not from me. Zach Wilson made zero turnover-worthy plays today. I think it's the first time in his career that he did that. Believe it or not, whether you like it or not, I think we are seeing really, really big strides throughout the first two seasons, the first two weeks of his season. I mean, the ball, he's got confidence. He steps up in the pocket. That ball, I mean, there's a confidence bef- behind that ball when he throws it now. I'm not just 
I'm not just waiting for the camera to pan over to the receiver waiting underneath the ball anymore. The defender, excuse me. Like I, I, I expect that ball to be caught by a Jets receiver now. And I know that sounds like a like like stupid, but I mean, there's a tremendous difference in year one and year two, Zach Wilson. I I love what I've seen so far. The dude has some grit and he's got some toughness. He took a shot on that rushing touchdown. He took a shot yeah, on that. No, he, I, I was worried about him because that you could hear that hit. Yeah, and and he got right up. Thank yeah, I mean, I mean, this this is. I think this is the youngest football team in the NFL. I'm pretty, I'm fairly certain. And if they're not one, they're probably two or three. They are one of, if not the youngest football teams in the NFL. And to get these young guys playing football like this throughout five weeks, I think this has been a massive win for the Jets so far. And we talk about Sauce Gardner. We got to mention DJ Reed too. DJ Reed has been really, really good so far this year. I think he had um, I think I posted on my story last week. He had the second lowest quarterback rating when the ball was when thrown to, and it was like 2.7 out of 158. Like that's insane. That is insane. I he had almost one of the most acrobatic interceptions I've ever seen today. Uh he was well out, but I mean I I don't think this is the this is the first time in my life I think I've watched a Jet game where I have zero negatives to really talk about. Yeah, I mean, you know, the only thing you can say is it's still going to take Zach Wilson some time. You know, anybody who expects him to be perfect for four quarters um, didn't watch him last year and, and doesn't realize that there really is a, a ton of room to still grow. Um, but what we've seen from him through two games is, is extremely promising. And, uh, you know, I think I mentioned to you a while back that what maybe back in March was um, what – what was so promising about the end of last season for him is he didn't throw an interception over his last five games. I think only him and Aaron Rodgers were the only quarterbacks who did that yes. over, the, over the final five games. And it reminded me a lot of what Josh Allen did before he really broke out. He had that year, his second year, um, 2019. I think that's what it, they made. the. Did they make the playoffs that year? Um, if they did, that was the year they lost to. Yeah, they lost to the Texans in the first mm-hmm. round. They were, they were a good team, but they were a defensive-led team. Um, I think he, so he had a rough start to that year and over his last 11 or so games, he threw only two interceptions. So yes. this Josh Allen we see now was not there. He wasn't playing like that, but the turnover stopped. He stopped making, he was smart enough to stop making those mistakes. And then the next year he broke out. And then the year after that, he was even better. That's what I, that's kind of what I like to see from Zach Wilson. The first step to becoming the, the franchise quarterback is stop making those stupid mistakes uh, stop turning over the ball. You know, it's not that you're going to, you're never going to throw an interception. I know he had one last week. Um, but if you can really limit those turnovers, then you can take that next step. And so far he's limiting those turnovers. So that's why I think it's, it's really promising. Yeah, absolutely. I I'm very, very pleased with what I saw from the jets today. Uh, 40 points against this team. I did pick the jets to win. I hope you did too. I did not. Oh, no. Dan, come on. I did not. No, it looked like a good uh, opportunity for the Dolphins to bounce back, even with Teddy. But oh, never damn, know. Kill me, some fan you are. No, I, 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 a hundred percent understand. It's okay. <laughs> um, one thing, real quick, just to confirm what we said before: the San Diego Padres did hold on and shut out the New York Mets. So the Padres are moving on. The Mets have a very, very disappointing end to a very promising they have, season. They have one hit tonight yeah very very disappointing um moving on to the next game i mean when are we just going to when are we just going to revise the 
roughing the passer call to roughing the Brady call. I mean, this is honestly the only takeaway from this game. Yes. Yeah, or, I was going to say that's the only thing I want to talk about. Yeah. I, I mean, that was a sack. I, I don't I, you know yeah. that's the thing. I don't know. I don't even know how to how to expand on it from here. Like that was quite literally a sack. He he went and um so all right, so Jerome Boger, who called this, he went out um and his explanation was that he uh oh no, he he gave out the official rule. And the rule is that uh you cannot take a defenseless quarterback to the ground when he's uh when he's throwing the ball or or has already thrown the ball. Um, so I think Tom Pelissero tweeted that out and it was something like, Oh, you know, so that leaves it up for interpretation all that. He, he wasn't throwing the ball. It doesn't follow the rule. Like the rule that was cited is not what happened. Brady had the ball in his possession and he was taken to the ground, which is a sack. So what, what they call this for, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend I don't understand what's a little different from it than a regular sack. I, the way he was taken down was, you know, Brady Jarrett grabbed him. And kind of, you know, because of his momentum, it kind of whipped Brady over to the side. Um, but what the rule's supposed to be is that if you put your weight on the quarterback, like, you know, you throw all your weight, it was actually Brady's weight on top of Brady Jarrett. Brady Jarrett did what he was supposed to do. Instead of throwing himself onto Brady, he threw Brady onto himself and put him on the ground that way. So it, it kind of went against what they what the rule is, which is that you can't put your weight, all your weight on the quarterback. Um, yeah, that was, that was awful. I mean... <laughs> If I were them, I, I would have just made up like some holding call and, and, and you know, hope for the best because that, that would have been probably better than calling uh, roughing the passer on that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was bad. And I, I, I specifically know it was bad because I know we've talked about this before where it's like what determines like what you post on Instagram because you don't post every single game. I mean, there are just some games that aren't worth posting about. Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to videos, I know you only you don't post many videos a week, yeah. maybe maybe ten throughout the week, if if that that's probably a lot, honestly. But when once I saw that, I was like, oh, Dan's pissed. I was like, he, oh, that was bad. Uh, that was an abomination. The game itself was pretty bad. It was really the Leonard Fournette show. Uh, one thing I do want to say, and I'm glad that you texted me this because. I don't want to say it confirms what I said earlier on in the season because it really doesn't because now we're really seeing the true Atlanta Falcons team the last couple of weeks. Yeah, they won last week, but I mean, it was such a fluky, awful win. But if you're going to lose or if you're going to limit your quarterback to as little amount as Marcus Mariota throws, just put Desmond Ritter in there. And if you're going to lose, just lose with Desmond Ritter. You know what you're going to get from Marcus Mariota. Put the freaking kid in there. Let him play. Let him make yeah. mistakes now. Yeah, I, I've reversed my uh, my opinion. After If anybody listened last week, you heard me give a, a defense of why Marcus Mariota should stay in. You know, I mean, today it really it really was was not good. I understand it's the Bucks defense. Um <laughs> But but Mariota Mariota just didn't look up to the task, and I, I texted you this when it was I think fourteen nothing or twenty one nothing. So dude, my my jaw stuff. hit the floor when I saw that text. I was like, "There's no way Dan just said this." <laughs> so they got something going in the second half. They started to to find something, but for a lot of that game, it really felt to me like, "All right, Desmond Ritter is the guy who's going to give you a better shot than Mariota." Yeah. Um, I know there was four no for Kyle eleven Pitts. for thirty-two yards for yeah. like the first twenty-five minutes of the game. Yeah, there was no Kyle Pitts, no Cordero Patterson. I understand that, 
Um, but but a lot of it was Mariota's fault. I and mean, he did get it together a little bit in the second half. Yeah. He made a couple throws. Um, but you wonder if they could have pulled this out if they had someone like Ritter in there or if they didn't make up a roughing the passer call, which might have been a lot easier way uh, to win this game. You know, they, they went for two. When the, when they were going to make it 21-14, they went for two and they got it. That offense was moving a little bit. Yeah. And I feel like if they had gotten the ball back, the, the Bucks defense was gassed enough that there was a, a real chance they could have won that game, um, which, you know, I give credit to Arthur Smith for, for what he's doing because, you know, if they, if they won that game in Tampa and went to three and two, yeah, uh, he deserved a ton of credit. But, um, yes, I'm not, you know, for those who – I know nobody really knows this, but I'm not really the uh, blame the refs kind of person. Like mistakes happen. There are so many calls in a game. That you know, a lot of people comment on my post and they're like, "Why didn't you mention that we were robbed by the on the pass interference?" It's like because because there were probably twenty other calls. Because your quarterback threw four interceptions. That's yeah, why. You know, yeah, it's always something like that. This is different. I'll, I will give I'll give Falcons fans um, and any good NFL fan what they're due and say this was a, a problem. And you know, I don't even think it's like a problem with the rule. I, I I think it's just a Brady thing. You don't see this happen to anybody else. This is this goes beyond a questionable roughing the passer call uh, to this looked to me like an ordinary sack, you know, with a little bit of an extra flair that any, any professional ref should see through and understand what was going on on that play. The fact that, that they didn't get that right is a, a problem. It doesn't sit well with me. It shouldn't sit well with anybody. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. And, and I'm usually I'm not on that train where it's like, Oh, you know, you know, oh, Brady, yeah, maybe he gets the benefit of the, the doubt every time. No, this was completely blatant. This was, this definitely was a uh, Brady being 45 years old and maybe almost dying on, on a sack there. He got hit. Was it at the end of, uh, I, I saw a highlight because I didn't get to watch all the game last week because we were recording, yeah. but he got molly whopped at one point. Yeah. And I was like, there's no way that he got up from that. Like, as much as a lot of people think he he you know he's a wimp or he's a bitch whatever it may be, the dude really does take some hard shots at forty five years old. Where me at twenty five years old will probably die. So you're not on the TB twelve method. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he he does take some shots, and and that was a decent shot that they gave him, but it, it wasn't roughing the passer. I don't know. We could talk about this all night because uh, that was Brady being Brady getting the call. Um, I did have the Bucks, but I wasn't so confident. I'm glad that this was more of a just pick the winner because I was a little worried about that point spread. So, yeah, yeah I'm I, glad I, uh, I did pick the Bucks. Moving on to the next game, this was my lock of the week, and it wasn't as much of a lock as I really thought it was. Uh, I was a little worried. I was actually a lot of worried for most of the game. Um, the Tennessee Titans beat the Washington Commanders in probably one of the more ugly 21-17 games that you'll see. Uh, in quite some time. There was some flashes, don't get me wrong, Diami Brown, finally, who is someone that we thought was going to be a breakout star in the fourth round a couple years ago. Never caught a touchdown pass, really only caught like six passes in his career. Had a really nice breakout game, had two long touchdown catches as well. So I was nervous, but I did have the Tennessee Titans at minus one and a half. I did win. I improved my record to three and one. I was late to the party. Probably would have been four and one if I wasn't late to the party, honestly, Dan. But, uh, Are you sure about that? Probably not. No, no but no. probably not. I probably would have picked the Jets in week one or something. Probably something <laughs> stupid. Um, I do improve to three and one. This was a. Uh, um, 
again, this is another game that I'm just like, is there really anything too noteworthy to talk about other than the Washington Commanders are one and four and the Tennessee Titans have won three straight games and have firmly placed themselves back in control of the AFC South like we thought they were going to as one of the most boring football teams to watch? Yeah, this is this was a very Titans game. Um, and the Titans do play some boring football sometimes. Um, Carson Wentz, you know, it's again, it's one of those games where he gives you something to hold on to. I think he had 359 yards or something like that. He had a couple mm-hmm. touchdowns to Diami Brown. Um, and then, of course, at the end, when he's got the, the chance to win this game, <laughs> he throws an interception when they were two yards away uh, from pulling out the win. Um, I had the I had the commanders winning. I, I thought that this was a kind of just a, a regression to the lock of the week. I thought it would be a regression to the mean game for both teams, where the Titans maybe play more like they did the first couple of weeks. Uh, the commanders' offense gets back on track a little bit, which it really did. Um, just until the, until they couldn't finish drives, and then at the end they really couldn't finish a drive. Uh, I thought maybe they'd win for Brian Robinson in his season debut. I'm glad he's back after he was shot before the season. Um, but even Carson Wentz couldn't couldn't finish off that narrative. <laughs> I, I know it's really not funny, but it, I know it's not funny. But just the way that you just you went right through it too, you're like, yeah, I thought they went for him after he got shot. Not that like, far from me either. A few miles. But I mean, if you think about it, there you, you could bl- place blame on Carson Wentz for this loss. But you know, he threw for 359 yards. The offense was one dimensional all day. 17 rushes for 43 yards. I mean, it's it's bad. Antonio Gibson went from one of the most promising young running backs in football to he reminds me so much of Alfred Morris, and it's crazy that yeah. like remember when Alfred Morris had like sixteen hundred yards in his first year, and then like fourteen hundred yards, and then fell off the face and of the earth, and that was and it. Like, this is what Antonio Gibson reminds me of, where it's like he had a really good first year, his second year was okay, now he just sucks. Uh, you know, their their running game is really bad. Hopefully, I mean, like you said, Brian Robinson's coming back from getting shot six weeks ago. So if he could find his mojo, I honestly think he already is a better running back than Antonio well, Gibson. Doesn't it say a lot about how much or how little they believe in Antonio Gibson that Brian Robinson was really getting the share of the carries over him? Yeah. Uh, in, in his, when pe- a lot of people didn't even expect him back this week. And he was really getting more of a workload than, than Antonio Gibson. They don't. Yeah. I, think, I think they're done with Antonio Gibson. Um, not officially yet, but I, I think I think they've kind of had enough of him, and I have had enough of the Commanders because this team has dropped four in a row. Uh, they look terrible. They've lost winnable games. They play very boring football. I'm done. They I don't even know what to do at this point because what are they going to yeah. do? Fire Ron Rivera? Look for another yeah. quarterback? I mean, yeah, what good is that going to do? Can do is go four and thirteen or something, but they'll probably mess that up too. Yeah, you know, there's really not much to say. I think last week we we went right through their game because there was nothing to say when the Cowboys beat them by 15. Yeah, no, that was the most like un, that was the worst game of the week in terms of just completely one sided. This one, I feel like we did have to mention the run game and the fact that they would rather trust me in the backfield than Antonio Gibson. Um, moving on to the next game, and see, Dan, this is why I don't pick the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, this I, is I, and you know. I mean, what we've seen throughout four weeks from the Jacksonville Jaguars, let's just take nine steps back, and that's what we saw today. Like, after – I mean, last week kind of sucked. The weather was bad. Um, Trevor Lawrence coughed up the football four times. He threw an interception. He turned the ball over five times. I was willing to give him 
sort of a benefit of the doubt because of the weather. And you're also playing the best all-around team in football at the time. Now I think it is the Bills again. Um, this was a nice chance to bounce back. And this was a blowout opportunity for the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Houston Texans were still winless. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars looked very good on offense before la- before last week, weeks prior. I mean, Trevor Lawrence was coming off his best ever performance two weeks ago. I thought maybe, you know, last week, what are you going to do? Let's go out and win this one. And they proceeded to score six points. Trevor Lawrence looked really bad. He threw 282 and two touchdowns. I, be- I mean, two interceptions, I believe, uh, did not look good. And you know what? The guy continues to be a turnover machine. As well as he did play against the, the the Chargers, I think there's a case to be made that the guy the guy is just prone to turning the football over. Yeah, he had he had two big opportunities late in the game too. Even after all that, to at least come back and tie tie up the game, um, couldn't do it. That, that's that's disappointing because the, the Texans gave him a lot of chances. It's not like they really controlled the game. He had opportunities, he couldn't do it. Uh, Derek Stingley had an interception. Um, we've talked about how the Texan secondary is kind of coming alive. Him and Jalen Petrie. He's looked good so far. Continues to look good. And Stanley yeah. had that first interception today. Um, but, yeah, you know, I thought this was kind of an easy pick. I mean, I thought – I wasn't sure about them covering, but I thought Trevor Lawrence was poised for a, a really nice bounce-back game uh, against the Texans at home after, yeah, you could blame the fumbles and the wet weather last week for their, for their issues. I also thought that the running game would have a big day against the uh, the Texans defense, and they kind of did. Travis Etienne had a big day. I thought it might yeah. have been James Robinson, but Etienne had a nice day. Uh, this one kind of does fall on Trevor Lawrence. I mean, they, they didn't do enough. You can't put give the credit to the Texans' offense, really. They, they didn't do enough. And you can't blame the de- Jaguars' defense. This really a lot relies on uh, what Trevor Lawrence couldn't do. I, I think that's where the, where this one ends up. Um, it's going to hurt them when it, when it comes down to yeah. competing for positioning. In the AFC South, you know, as bad as the Titans and uh, Colts have been at times, uh, they're they're both ahead of them now. So it's 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 hard in in a division where it might only take nine or so wins to come out come out on yeah, top. It's a big one. These games cost you. you. These are games you really can't afford to lose. Yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent. And um, you know, like you said, the defense only gives up thirteen points. Really, only six up until like the last what eight minutes. When whenever Damian yeah. Pierce scored, who has looked very very good so far, yeah, uh, he's probably he's probably the only good bright spot or the only bright spot I should say on that Texans offense so far this year. Uh, he's looked really good. I mean, your defense did everything they had to do. Uh, yeah, this one's definitely on Trevor Lawrence. And uh, from the Houston Texans side of the ball, you can't even really look at. I mean, this has to be the ugliest first win of the season for anyone. I mean, you oh, sort they'll of, take it. Oh yeah. The they played. They'll take it. Yeah. It's funny because they've played better in other games, yeah, way lost. better in other games and have lost by, by significant fashion too. And then, you know, they win this game. So it just like we've said a million times before, this is the NFL. Anyone can win on any given Sunday and they could play as poorly as this and still win. So it's uh interesting there. I did pick the Jaguars in that one. Um, yeah, I did as well. Yeah, it, you know, just horrible. Uh, <laughs> moving on, the next game, this is the first of the 4 o'clock slate that we have on the pick here. The San Francisco 49ers and the Carolina Panthers, and this ended up just exactly as I thought it was going to be. Uh, the Carolina Panthers playing shoddy football, Baker Mayfield turning it over, the San Francisco 49ers playing great defense, and Jimmy G not turning the ball over and being a perfect game manager. 
And Jeff Wilson breaking out for 120 rushing yards was certainly unexpected, but it just proves that anyone can really run the football effectively in this Shanahan offense. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's no, that, that's that been the thing. That's that's kind of why I've been surprised with Mike McDaniel, who's running a similar offense, why they can't get their running game going until today. Kyle Shanahan has so much success uh, with just about everybody he plugs in there. But um, the story for me in this game, well, first of all, let me let me let me say for the 49ers, they are leading the, the NFC West by themselves. Everybody else is two and three. So after the Trey Lance injury, uh, after losing to the Bears in week one, they are on top of the NFC West. They, you know, they, they're kind of in control now. So um, give Kyle Shanahan some credit. They've dealt with a lot of injuries. They continue to deal with injuries. Trent Williams isn't there. They're running the ball well, even without Trent Williams. So I, I give him credit. Um, the story for me in this game, though, is probably the Panthers, who continue to look like one of the worst teams in the NFL. Uh, Baker Mayfield looks terrible, you know, whether it's his fault or not. He looks terrible. I know he, they said he left in a walking boot today. Uh, mm-hmm. Last week after we recorded, I know Matt Rule came out and said he wasn't committing to a starter for week five, and then he backtracked and said, oh, no, no, it's still Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, I don't know if, if the Panthers can commit to Matt Rule for week six. I, 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 I re- legitimately wonder um, what the final straw is going to be for owner David Tepper, who invested a lot of money in him and, and is getting nothing out of him. Um, the, the most amazing stat is that I think under Matt rule, they're one in 27 when the opposing team scores 17 or more points. Oh my God. I mean, how is that even possible? He said today, something like, you know, you need to score points in order to win. Oh, really? It's nice to say that, but you're not scoring points. You've had three years. You've had many different quarterbacks. You just don't do it. Um, so I, I feel like we might've reached the end of the line for Matt rule. Uh, we'll find out by the time anybody's listening to this, you'll probably know. Uh, if he's been let go or not, it would probably happen on, on Monday, the day this comes out. Um, if not, if he doesn't get fired, I think he's week to week because they can't keep performing like this and, and have nothing change. It'll be a miracle if he doesn't get fired. I mean, well, it's going to happen. It's a matter of if uh, it's a matter of when and not if, but I, I genuinely wonder if the when um, is tomorrow, if we might see that. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on that, but uh, yeah. he's, he's, he's definitely earned it if he loses his job. And I think he's, he's, I know people are going to get upset when he inevitably gets hired by a college program and gets a big contract. That's fine. He he did great in college. He turned around yeah. two programs. Some guys are just much better fits in college. So if if the Panthers are smart, um, I was reading about this today. If they let him go early and he is hired uh, by a by another school by a school, you know whether that's in November or, or what or what, um, it reduces the amount of money they have to pay him. It reduces the buyout. I know that that's that's how it works in the NFL and between the NFL and college. Yeah. If he's getting paid by somebody else, even if it's in college, um, he's no longer entitled to you know that he the Panthers can subtract the difference essentially, and they don't have to pay uh, that part of his contract, whatever the college is covering. So it actually might work out for them that they can get out of this contract if he gets a lot of interest from a college program. And with all these college programs looking for coaches. Uh, I think he'll have a landing spot. So it, yeah. may just, it may just be best to part ways sooner than yeah. later. Matt ruled to Colorado State. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> or Colorado, I should say. But, yeah, I'm just – I know you've been staring at me and I've been looking at my phone. I've been hearing everything you said. But I'm just looking at this, these stat lines from the Carolina Panthers today. And it's just like – I mean, P.J. Walker came into the game 
I think that when Sam Darnold comes back, I, I cannot believe I'm going to say this sentence right now. I literally cannot believe I'm going to say this sentence. I think he has to be the starter. I mean, Baker Mayfield has yeah. showed you absolutely nothing as the starting quarterback. Now, granted, San Francisco's tough, man. I mean, that, that's a tough defense. 215 with an interception. He got sacked four times as well. He does that against everybody. That's that's the yeah, thing. It's okay. No like like we said, he he missed the long touchdown this week. That was the one good play he had every single week was one long touchdown, and he missed that. But I I think at this point, you know, you're one and four with him as the starter. If Sam Darnold comes back, you let him in there for a couple games, and then if he's not good enough, then you just let PJ Walker finish the entire season out as a starter because. Everyone's a free agent after this year. Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and P.J. Walker. I say you re-sign P.J. Walker, you draft C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, or Will Levis, honestly, and you just ride with those guys because these two guys have been utter failure. Don't forget that the Carolina Panthers, between these two quarterbacks, have given up a second, a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth-round pick to get these two quarterbacks. That's really bad. That's really, really bad. Terrible business on their part. Um, it's not looking good there. I picked. I, I mean, I should have picked this, honestly, as my lock of the week, because I knew I would have honestly bet my entire life savings on this on this game. I, I knew that this was going to end up like this. But um, moving on to the next game between the Cowboys and the Rams. And uh, I'm just going to go out and say it. I think that this was my boldest pick of the week. I went I went straight out and picked out the, the Dallas Cowboys and didn't really think that I didn't think two shits about it. I was like, yep, they're going to win. Uh, did you pick the Dallas Cowboys? No, I thought this was going to be a get-even game where everybody ends up at three and two at the end of it, and um, you know the way the parity is going in the NFL this year. But no, this Cowboys defense—I'm telling you—I I, Dan Quinn, if, you know, if he does, if he becomes a head coach, or even if he stays on as defensive coordinator, if he becomes the Cowboys coach, he better demand a lot of money. No, yeah. no matter what his future role is, whoever wants to hire him or keep him. This Dan Quinn defense is is serious. Uh, even that one game they lost, they did a great job of, of slowing down the Bucs. The Bucs really didn't have anything going until the end of the fourth yeah. quarter. Um, this is the best defense in the NFL right now. I don't know about personnel-wise, but but the way that they run with the scheme, the way they generate pressure. Um, you know, the one lapse today was Trevon Diggs. Uh, oh, a- I'm so glad you said that because <laughs> I couldn't wait – for to say that uh, if you didn't say it he got he was burnt toast all all game but aside from that they they i mean they turned on that pressure and had matthew stafford under pressure (laughs) all day this defense is real and it makes me wonder you know are they going to be a super bowl contender when dak prescott comes back or is this offense going to stay very questionable you don't even listen i know this is going to sound crazy but right now I think Cooper Rush has done enough as the starter through four games to at least warrant consideration to continue starting or at least be on a very short leash until if Dak Prescott is healthy. I mean, yeah, he, I, I he know wasn't that, very good today, though. I know he didn't. But the fact of the matter is they still won, though, with him at the quarterback position. And he's looked good the other three weeks, too. So it's not like, you know, they've been doing this every single week. This was probably their toughest test with – with him at the quarterback position. Now next week is their toughest test with him at the quarterback position. If he comes in and he somehow beats the Philadelphia Eagles, 
I really, really think that there's some consideration there. Like you have to, you have to give it consideration. I know that this is here saying we're, we're speculating for next week, but um, you know, the Dallas Cowboys defense, I a hundred percent agree with you. Minus Trayvon Diggs, the most overrated defensive player in the NFL. Uh, they looked really, really good. And, you know, there were, there were some lapses on offense too. I'm pretty sure CD lamb dropped like two very, very catchable balls that would have made, would have made the offense, the offensive time a little bit easier. Uh, he dropped a few passes too. Did, you know, Cooper rush didn't look that great. Easily his worst game of the season statistic wise, but, um, I feel bad for Matthew Stafford, man. The dude got absolutely beat up today. I, I watched the majority of that game, especially in the second half when Dan Quinn really, really turned it on. I mean, he only got sacked four times, but he was hit like 10 times. And that the, the last hit was the one that left the lasting image on me. I don't remember when he threw the interception, he basically just like threw it up there and was like, just take it. Cause I'm getting my ass kicked back here. Um, I don't even blame him for that interception either. I mean, he was under duress the entire, but from as soon as he snapped the ball, he was running for his life. But I mean, he's, he's getting beat up back there and that's a quarterback that's making a significant amount of money. I think if the Rams are serious about even being playoff contenders this year, I think they're going to have to make a, a, a significant move for an offensive lineman. I mean, look at what we saw with Trent Williams last year with the, was it last year or two years ago? Uh, two, two, he came over during the pandemic. So two years yeah, ago, two seasons ago. And look at the difference he made. He literally had the best season of an offensive lineman in PFF grading history last year. And that's not, not a joke that, you know what I'm saying? So it can be done. I think that Matthew Stafford needs way more protection because, you know, Matthew Stafford is a well above average quarterback when he is given time. I mean, we've seen that before. The man just won a Super Bowl as well. And this team has talent. There's no doubt about it, but you got to get him time to throw the football, man. I mean, that's really my biggest takeaway is this team is going nowhere if they make no moves with the offensive line. Yeah, there are a lot of people who are, you know, just fans out there who don't know better. You're like, oh, th- this is why they need to sign Odell. They need to get – that's not it has the nothing issue to do with weapons. That's not the issue. No. They don't have an offensive line right now. Um, while I'm not sure this would solve their problems, I, I, I almost can guarantee that they're probably going to try to reach out to Andrew Whitworth and see if he wants to come back. I know he's he's going to be 41 in December, but he, he played well last year. Hey, look, Jason, Jason Peters is playing well at 39. It, it, Dwayne Brown a, played well today at 37. I mean, yeah, it's such a family in LA, you know, between Odell and, and all these guys they have on, on call. I, I feel like Sean McVay, if he hasn't already, is going to give Andrew Whitworth a call. I don't know if he'll do it. He's got a nice job with uh, the Amazon Prime Thursday night game, Thursday night uh, pregame, postgame group. But they need to do something, and if that doesn't work out, you got to make a trade. Um, you know, similar deal as the Giants. You got to give Stafford a chance. Yeah, he's got no, he's got no chance right now. Andrew, don't be, don't be content with the championship last year. You know, you still have a very talented team, and it's not even that injuries are really the problem right now. It's kind of the, I mean, even though they have some offensive line injuries, uh, it's really just the losing talent on the offensive line and a little bit of a breakdown all around with this offense. You know, you got to give Stafford a chance and at least make a run at it this year. So I would like to see them add somebody. Um, but right now, panic button, two and three. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a problem. They don't yeah. they don't look good. They don't look like a team that's been unlucky. They look like a team that's just not as good as the teams they're losing to. No, I absolutely agree with you there. It's not – I mean, this has been apparent since the first week where they got thoroughly dominated by the Buffalo Bills. I mean, this is not a team that looks anywhere near similar as last year. So. 
panic button. I 100% agree with you. I did pick the Dallas Cowboys. I will say it again. Uh, moving on. Sorry, Dan. Moving on to the uh, – well, I guess we could talk. I mean, the game, honestly, it's been moving so fast. The Sunday Night Football game. It's almost over already. Um, but moving on to the last game that's on the slate for 4 o'clock. There wasn't as many 4 o'clock games this week as, as there have been. Uh, but the most intriguing matchup, really, for me this week – besides for the Sunday night game, was the Arizona Cardinals and the Philadelphia Eagles. The reason why is because this seemed like a perfect game for Kyler Murray to come out and go, yeah, I'm that dude that's worth $46 million a year. Uh, he didn't. But to, to, but to be honest with you, uh, I mean, it was, just, it was pretty ugly offensively on both sides. Uh, 20 to 17, the, the Philadelphia Eagles are 5-0. and uh, You know, Kyler Murray does not look great. Uh, they're just everything really doesn't look great on on the Arizona Cardinals side. We've been so adamant about this. I feel like I'm just there's only one team that I love to trash every single week, and it's the it's the Chicago Bears. So I'm not going to continuously trash the Arizona Cardinals. Defensively, they showed up today. At least you know you know they only gave up 20 points to the one of the best offensive teams in the NFL, and really the only two touchdowns that were scored were off of goal line. QB draws. So I guess, you know, you can't really, you can't really fault them for that, but the offense was just flat today. Yeah. I mean, you know, 2017, even at home, the score looks good for the Cardinals. I mean, there are no moral victories, but um, you know, it's almost like, well, that that could have been worse. Um, Again, Kyler Murray was kind of a a mixed bag. He didn't look good most of the day. Uh, He looked really good at the beginning of that drive that, that could have tied the game at the end and made it Mm -hmm. 2020. And then they ran into some issues, and some of those issues included his errors, where he shouldn't have run the ball, or I think it was he shouldn't have uh, shouldn't have, have slid at a certain point, um, and then he spiked the ball when they shouldn't have spiked the ball. Uh, they they ran into some issues, um, but the Eagles on the Eagles side, I think Jalen Hurts said it best. He said something, um, you know, coming out about how you know you sometimes you just have to win games like this. That's exactly it. If you're going to be a great team, you're going to run into games like this where. You don't play exactly the way you want to. You don't have the offense going, uh, clicking like you have the last four weeks. Uh, but if you can manage a win in that game, huge. And that's the reason why they're they're as good as they are, why we both consider them probably the best team in the NFC. They're capable of winning these games. Um, yeah, the, the big test, I guess, for both teams next week is, is that Eagles-Cowboys game. Um, you know, it doesn't matter who's starting for the Cowboys. I know Dak Prescott still has a chance to start. Um, the, the real test is how the Eagles hold up against that defense. Yeah. They have a great offensive line. This is going to be the best offensive line the Cowboys have faced. Um, so, that, you know, it's going to be a, a big test for both sides. And if the Eagles can win that game and go two games up on the Cowboys, which may mean also two games up on the Giants, the NFC East is officially theirs to lose. Isn't it really yeah. nice to say something like that? <laughs> that the well, Giants I, are still in it now? I know. I, it, didn't mention the commanders. Should I mention the commanders? One of no, nah, I think I think I think, you think uh, they're done. You think they're out of that division race? The Washington Dan Snyder's. Yeah, no, we're. Uh, <laughs> that's yes, what we're the Giants, the Giants are in the NFC East race, but the Eagles have a chance to take full control next week. If they lose, all of a sudden the Cowboys are right there with them, and I don't mean literally just in the fact that they're both five and one. The Cowboys I mean, are in first place. Then I mean the Cowboys might yeah. look like the best team in the NFC if they if they manage to pull that oh off. Oh my god! What a in Philadelphia, if they can beat them in Philly, no matter who's the quarterback. Yeah, we'll see. But 
Um, That's such a I, gross proposition because the Cowboys <laughs> fans are so annoying. And then I could only I could just see it now that if they win and they take control of first place and then are probably the number one seed in the NFC. That's just, oh, my God, that's just a horrible. I don't even want to think about it. Yeah, but you know, this is when they play their best. I personally, I think Mike McCarthy might become a victim of his own success because they might start, they already started four and one. They may be five and one. But, you know, you know, me and you kind of agree this isn't really a team that we think is going to make some kind of playoff run. Nah. So if you go five and one, but then you finish 10 and seven or 11 and six, let's say 11 and six, and you lose in the first round, it's over for him. Over yeah. because Cowboys fans would be livid. So I think, you know, if, if you want to root against the Cowboys, that's actually, it's not terrible that they're starting out really good because this is exactly <laughs> what they did last year. And the fans were livid at the end of the year because they, they were a victim of their own success. Just saying it may happen again. That's uh, you know what, the game, right? Next week? Huh? Yeah. I think that's, we may have to adjust the recording schedule. That's a big one. You know what I want to do at some point? Maybe we'll do it. I mean, this is thinking far down the line, but I think maybe once we get towards like the playoffs and stuff, or maybe even we could even experiment it with the World Series. What I think we should do is I think that we should do a lot like a like a watch along episode instead of instead of talking about what happened, just like talking about the actual game. So maybe like a potential World Series clinching game, or maybe like you know an NFC or AFC championship game or something. We just kind of sink our teeth into that. I think that would be a lot of fun, but I, I you know, you don't have to agree with me. It's okay. I do agree with you. I think that sounds like fun. And if anyone's listening and wants to tell us what they think about that, we want to hear from you too, because obviously it's about what everybody else wants to hear. I think it would be good content. Yeah. I think it would be fun. Last actually last year, um I was I was recording my one hundredth episode of my old podcast with my old podcast co-host he was my guest for the 100th episode and we had the the buffalo bills game the buffalo bills and the kansas city chiefs game in the background and as you listen to the episode it just divulges into us forgetting about whatever the fuck we were talking about and just full-blown watching the game it was just going crazy it was really funny to like it, it just turned into that like no one cared about what we were saying we were just, we were just sitting here drinking whiskey just like you know just it was it was great but um, yeah, no, those those are super fun. I think that would be something fun to do um, down the line. But I know that there's one thing, one more thing that we wanted to mention before we eventually uh, head off to our slumbers. It is the whole Draymond Green situation. Um, I'm gonna. I mean, you're more of a basketball guy than I am. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my Knicks. I will watch every single Nick game this year, but in terms of the uh, hullabaloo and malarkey that comes with the uh, the NBA, not really a big fan of it. But one thing was certainly funny to me, and obviously, if you don't know, Jordan Poole was punched in the mouth by Draymond Green. I didn't think, first off, I didn't think that that video was real when I first saw it. I thought that that was fake because it looked too perfect Yeah, like for it to be real. I had to like get confirmation. <laughs> and then I saw a comment under the video that said, if Draymond Green were to do this to Steph Curry, within 36 hours, he'd be playing in the Spanish division under the name Draymond Verde. And it just, <laughs> I just died laughing when I read that. I was like, 
I was like, because it's so true. You know, if he yeah. ever did that to Steph, that he would well, be out of the league. I mean, that's the, that, that's the funny part of it. It's like, you know, you know, it feels like Jordan Poole was not an acceptable player to punch, but he wasn't Steph Curry. But if he goes out and punches like, uh, you know, I don't know who's on the bench, Damian Lee or something like that. I don't even think he's still on the Warriors. All this, nobody mm-hmm. cares. You know, he's not – you wouldn't even hear about it. There's no video to be put out. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people have talked about how, like, you know, some people say – Oh well, you know he he's just settling his settling beef like a man. You know it was it's not our business. We shouldn't know about it. And then there's another side that says, and I think I think these people are more correct. Uh, this would not be acceptable in any workplace. Like you know, you can't just punch your your coworker. It's yeah. Like, of, of course, this is a story. Like we're not going to pretend like it doesn't matter that two of the big name players on the the defending NBA champs got into a fight and there was a, a, a punch thrown. Um, but that's funny. No, it, it, it's completely true that it, yeah, if something happened between him and Curry, uh, it's over. And it's not over for <laughs> Curry. It's over for Draymond. Oh, yeah. But he'll be welcome back. You know, he's his thing is he's taking time away from the team. That really just means he's going to sit out the rest of the preseason. He'll be back for the first week of the, of the year. No big deal. Um, I saw some people, too, saying, oh, the video changes everything. I don't think so. You know, he punched him. Like, we knew he punched him. The, yeah. only, the only way it reflects poorly, more poorly, on Draymond is that it's not like he was provoked. Like, yes, he was shoved, but but he walked up. He like, he put his entire body on Jordan Poole in his face. Like, you, you're asking to be shoved in that case. You know, you started that. Just because you were shoved doesn't mean you're, you know, you're free to punch him. So I guess the video did show us, like, hey – not Jordan Poole's fault, but you can kind of assume that if you know the type of person Draymond Green is, the type of competitor. So I, I it just like what happened with Kevin Durant four years ago, where they him and Kevin Durant got into an argument during a practice. Draymond got suspended a game. Nobody really cared after that. I think this is <laughs> going to fade away in a couple of weeks, uh, especially after the regular season gets underway. I don't think there's like any actual issues between them. I think it's just Draymond being Draymond. Um, but it, it's, it's fun. Uh, I, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> no, it's definitely, it, it, it's, it's, it's wonderful satire. I will say like, it, it's something that like, doesn't get me excited about the NBA season, but it gets me like, it gets it in my head. It gets you like, talking like, about it, right? Thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. So this was, I'm glad that we did decide to just briefly discuss this because it was something that I thought was really funny. And one of my friends that's actually a really big NBA guy, I sent it to him and he thought it was great too. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really think anything's going to come of this. I mean, you if we all know Draymond, and I know that's not an excuse to literally punch someone in the face. Oh, it's just me being me. You know, that's, the, <laughs> that's not an but, excuse. But doesn't it remind you of what we talked about? Um, I guess in July or I guess in August about when the Rams had the option to discipline Aaron Donald. Yeah, it's same for, thing. Or swing that the helmets at the Bengals players. Like you're really going to upset Aaron Donald? No. Yeah. Are you really think the Warriors are going to come out and like his, you know, give an Ime Udoka type of suspension to Draymond Green? Yeah, right. You know, you they're trying to win. They're not trying to to play police. So yeah, and I'm sure that behind the scenes everything's already been smoothed over between Poole yeah. and, and Draymond Green. So it's just. Just for talking purposes, honestly, I, I it was just funny to me that like out of all the players that I would get a notification punch someone, that is the That's like the, the least surprising one. I was just like, oh, all right, like I looked at it and I was just like, all right, like it's just Draymond being Draymond. But 
like I said, that's not an excuse. And I definitely don't condone that behavior coming from a guy that literally gets pleasure out of watching two men beat the hell out of each other in an octagon. Uh, I digress. But Dan, I will say one thing. This was the fastest one hour and 50 minutes I think that has ever gone by in my life. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I thought that, that was a heck of a recap. I thought that was a heck of a time. I'm really, really looking forward to next week because then we could really, really get super serious about what we saw in the division series up until that point, and then potentially discuss some championship series matchups and also continue to watch the Jets win, the Giants win. And uh, I, I mean, life is I really can't complain. Life is good right now. Oh, life will only be good if by this time next week we're talking about the Yankees in the championship series. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I think a, a Guardians win or, or a Guardians surprise might uh, erase some of this, some of these good feelings you have. But the the, the New York Jets are three and two. The New York Giants are four and one. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers are one and four. There's a, a lot of a lot of things going on right now. I, I know that. Um, I mean, you talked a lot before the season about the Steelers. That's why. That's the only reason why I mentioned them. Talking about how I had so many people in my comments telling me, "Well, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season." And so they can't go seven and ten this year. Mm. Uh, I needed your voice to do that. You know, your the voice. Oh, that uh, it's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I can't do that. Yeah, but here they are, one and four, staring down maybe one and five. So that's that. It's going to be very interesting to talk about them next week if they don't show up against uh, Tampa. So we're going to have a lot to talk about. Looking forward to it. Yeah, very much looking forward to it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I I can't wait. To show you, well, you'll you'll see it when I post it. What the what the title of this of this episode is? I'm just I'm I'm very very excited. And I don't know, uh, it, so huh? and I don't know it either. So let's keep, guess we'll keep it that way, and I'll be surprised. Yeah, I mean it's it should be fun, but I I don't know if you noticed, but last was it last week? Yeah, I changed the title of that episode like seven times already while it was published. I changed what did, like what I did it end I, up as. I couldn't decide what a good title was. So I think that, so I think I went to bed on it as yeah, it was this one. I went to bed on it why is every team in the NFL 2 and 2. That was literally like the title of the episode and then I changed it to are the Jets and Jaguars legit and actually it got like usually our episodes will since it's since it's so time sensitive, I feel like our episodes will die off after like Wednesday. Like I won't see any any more production in our episodes, but like Thursday, Friday, and Saturday is where we got like the majority of our listens on this one. And I was like, oh, okay, it holds some, uh, it, it holds up to the test yeah, of time. All right. So, so I'm excited about this one, but you know, episode 14, very, very excited to get this one out to you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm three and one. Dan's three and two. So I still got that half game lead over him. I'm I'm, I'm going to continue to ride with that one uh, for as long as I possibly can. And I'm also up into second place in our uh, pick'em group. So sorry, Dan. Yeah, if you're not keeping track at home, um, I went. I'm six and eight this week, pending the end of this Ravens Bengals game. If the Bengals manage to pull it out, I'll be six and nine. If the uh, who even plays tomorrow? Oh yeah, well, okay. Well, well the Chiefs are probably going to win, so I'm I'm going to assume I got that one. But it's not. It's gonna it's gonna be uh, at least a 500 week for me. So not great. But we're we're going full steam ahead here. 
I'm gonna. Oh I'm yeah, gonna no playing back. around now. It's I'm gonna. I'm gonna bounce back next week. Next week's gonna be a big week. That's the. Okay. That's the problem. I'm expecting big things out of you. This is like the second consecutive week you've said something like this, and uh, I haven't I, seen I, it. I had yet. a decent week last week. I think what was it, ten and six or something like that? Yeah, you were. No, you, I, I, you were actually, you were actually good. Yeah, this week's very good. Last week. happens. I'm pretty sure the first week I went like six and ten, so I shouldn't even be talking. But um, yeah, I mean, Dan, I, I need you to take this one away, buddy. Definitely. No, thanks to everybody who who listened for this long. I know we thought it was a quick, almost two hours, but if you're listening, it may not be so quick. Uh, but we covered a lot in this episode. There's a lot going on right now. It's October. It's a great time of year. And like I said, we're going full steam ahead. Going to recap, uh, what are we up to, week six next week? Yes. And we're going to have a lot of MLB postseason action to talk about. So hope you enjoyed this one. Looking forward to next week.